0: hello and welcome to kanan rent's volume 2 issue 95. In 2002, Ubisoft Montreal promised to redefine stealth action with rip from the headline stories in a new series endorsed by and bearing the name of Tom Clancy. Two and a half years later, Ubisoft Montreal returned to the franchise they created with Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell Chaos Theory. Joining me, James Carter, on this silent-but-deadly issue are... Sassy, tech-savvy, and boy does he look great in a slightly unbuttoned blouse. Tonight, it's less hack and slash and more hack and analyze for Darren Grimm Foreman. Hello, beautiful people. He's gruff, chiseled, unquestionably amoral, and there's sure to be controversy over his voice actor. It's Carl, don't call him Fisher, Moon. What's up, guys? (sighs) So, we are uh, tackling Tom Clancy's splinter cell chaos theory too many titles on that one um but we're going to talk a little bit about the whole series and i think it's probably pertinent to put in our mandatory but often missed spoiler warning to say that we are going to we're not going to talk extensively about games other than chaos theory but we're not going to hold back on spoilers for anything up to and including conviction in the series so blacklist's coming out the day we record this and um we're not going to touch spoilers on that, although we might have uh, some informative things from Darren to say later on, but we're, we're not promising to stay clear of any spoilers for any of the other games in the series, so you are warned. So, Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell was released in November 2002 on Xbox. Uh, new series, it was endorsed by, but it's not a previous Tom Clancy property. So this is Ubisoft creating a, a a new franchise and sticking Tom Clancy's name atop it. We're going to go through each game and talk about a little bit of our own experiences with it. Did either of you guys play Splinter Cell? Sure, bud. When it came out?
1: Uh, pretty much uh, yeah. the day it came out, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Good. Um, thoughts on it? enjoy it? What what attracted you to it, I guess? I did really enjoy
1: it. I mean, the thing is, I was always like a fan of the Metal Gear series at that time, you know, I've kind of fallen out of love with that particular series since. But, um, Splinter Cell, I mean, obviously there was a lot of hype about this one, you know, the fact that Shadow and Light would play such a a huge part of the gameplay, Mm. and I just liked the idea of skulking around in shadows and then popping someone in the head and getting the hell out of there before anyone else even knew knew what happened.
0: Yeah I mean that was that was very much the idea behind it and I think that's probably what um Ubisoft meant when they said they were going to redefine stealth action which is a definite um and pointed uh it was almost it was a subtitle on the front of the game wasn't it redefine stealth action very much like the tactical espionage action on on the the Metal Gear games so yeah. it was it was a clear shot across the bows of Metal Gear in terms of we're going to do this game. I think the the degree to which they took the light dark mechanic was different but um but yeah it was very much thought of as as Ubisoft's answer answer to Metal Gear. How about you Carl? Did you did you pick it up?
2: Uh, yeah, I got it on the Xbox when it came out. Hmm. And I remember it because obviously Microsoft were very vocal the the at the time it was classed as an exclusive obviously it later became a yeah. timed exclusive and this sort of came, I think it was about six months after uh, Metal Gear Solid 2, which I've said in the past, I, I got that that year, and I remember being, I was bitterly disappointed by it and how I didn't enjoy it and how I felt like after the first section, the, the whole stealth element of it went, and this being advertised as like a proper stealth game with the light and dark and the shadows, I sort of rushed in to buy, uh, to buy it, sort of took it home enjoyed the first couple of levels and then just sort of it always felt like there was something missing like the narrative perhaps wasn't as strong as we'd experienced in something like Metal Gear Solid and that that while Sam was kind of cool and gruff being you know Ironside always been a great voice and (sighs) the character was pretty cool but everything else around him it didn't seem to, to to come together to make a great story and I, I was a bit down on it that side and I went back to it later on when it came onto the PC and it was a bit sharper it looked it looked absolutely fantastic but again I think I got to about the th- third or fourth level and and just sort of switched off again.
0: Yeah it's interesting and I, I know what you mean about story I mentioned rip from the headlines storylines and that seemed to be what they were going for um when I was thinking back to Splinter Cell and, and when I looked back at the release date, November 2002, that's um, a little over a year after, um, obviously, the the bombings or the um, the attack on the, the World Trade Center. Um, and it was almost a little over a year after 24 first aired. And those were kind of the things that stuck out to me um, as I went back to play this last weekend. The game had been in development for a good three years by the time it came out, I think. I think they said it was sort of ninety eight, ninety nine they started um work on this. So I don't think there's any suggestion that this was a, a sort of twelve month turnaround reaction to things that were going on in the real world. But it felt very much like they were trying to capture a mood that was going on in politics and 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 in sort of general popular culture at the time, um of this this cloak and dagger espionage. Um the the notion of information terrorism as opposed to sort of more direct threats, that kind of thing. But yeah, like you, Carl, I never really felt like the story was
1: particularly strong necessarily. It's a strange one. I'm going to add on that I don't think that the story's ever been that strong in any of the games. Um, It seems to be be very much a Tom Clancy kind of theme that the story just tends to be a backdrop to the actual game.
2: I think some games do it better than others. I think this came off the back of... The earlier Rainbow Six games on the PC, mm. which which were really quite fantastic uh, to to play, they they were quite interesting, but it seemed like they were trying to turn up and create a bit of a you know a political thriller that actually yeah. forgot to be thrilling. Um, yeah, I mean, part uh, of the
1: problem for me is that I tend to enjoy stories that have a strong character based narrative. Yeah. And apart yeah. from like their attempts to get like humanize Sam Fisher, everyone else just seems to fall by the wayside, and it's always about the greater picture.
0: Yeah, it seems to be more about the twists and turns and it certainly takes that lead from something like 24 where it you can almost miss the stuff that's happening in the missions that yeah. that means that by the end of the mission you're looking for someone completely different than you were looking for going into the mission. Um, And yeah, it's very twisting, very turning and by the end of the game, in all honesty, certainly the first game and I think probably Pandora Tomorrow to a similar extent you kind of lose track of who who's who, who's done what, and who's actually the bad guy. Which is is possibly the intent, but it feels very much like sort of Tom Clancy. The Tom Clancy over definitely is is in full effect here. The, I think they've written something that, in all honesty, feels like it could be, and then subsequently was turned into a Tom Clancy book series. They well.
2: come over very dry, and I think it's it. You've you've got to respect like the Metal Gear Solid games, that that, as two in particular, whilst I didn't enjoy the game at the time, uh, and obviously I've made reference that I went back to it last year and thoroughly enjoyed it 10 years on, um, Mm. that nonsensical or not, that game has interesting characters and and stories outside of what's happening, and then you go into play something like Splinter Cell and you realise just how much you actually kind of miss that.
1: Yeah. I think Metal Gear's um, mileage kind of varies because there are some truly... Drastically bad writing in certain yeah. episodes, of it. yeah. But at the same time, they they also do have high points, you know. And it's the high points, it's both of them that stick with you, you know. Like the high points and the low points yeah, stick with definitely. you. Mm. At least something sticks with you, whereas in Splinter Cell, it all just kind of washes past.
0: Yeah, I think also with Metal Gear, you've you've got at, at those low points, those story beats where you're kind of incredulous. You've got the characters that you've grown to a certain degree attached to, or or that's kind of zaniness, or the the you know the humor. To kind of pull you through those low points and and you know it's going to it's going to hit a high again shortly thereafter whereas with splinter cell i never felt like there were massively low points but it never felt like there were high points either
2: no it always felt like there was always three characters to the splinter cell series yeah yeah, yeah. um and that was sort of maintained all the way through until well double agent obviously um yeah. for a reason that we'll talk about later but yeah you know outside of that it was mainly you know you had Sam Fisher and he he would talk with Anna Grimm's daughter, and and that was basically all the conversations you would have in that entire game. bar, mm. you oh, know, a, a, at least in, well, Lambert, you would you would have the you wouldn't have like friendly conversations with. He would he would talk, give you your missions. They did, yeah. they
1: did have a d- decent partner between them though because I mean but, they did have they this are, history.
2: They are the three characters that that I'm referring to and. You know, outside of that, you might get the odd, at least with chaos theory in particular, you get the odd sort of funny conversation with with someone that you're interrogating, but those are pretty much the only moments that the entire series ever lets itself become even remotely amusing or, you know, off-serious.
0: I replayed um, Splinter Cell last weekend and got through it in about 10 hours or so. And when the credits popped up, I was paying particular attention because I wanted to see what the situation was because particularly for Pandora Tomorrow, um, there's some interesting stuff going on with the personnel who are involved, etc. Um, for Splinter Cell, uh, the the first thing I noticed was um, it stands out like an absolute sore thumb that there's a really odd credit in there and it's a name that I knew to expect in in the credits but but in this case there was there was an odd credit which was game designer with participation as script writer um for Clint Hawking which given there is a writer listed and you know lead designer and other game designers listed it seems really odd to pick him out for this special if you like credit um but I thought it worth mentioning here because it becomes much more important when we get onto chaos theory. Um, and it, it seems obvious why they would have singled out Clint Hawking for his sort of slightly, uh, odd role in, in Splinter Cell. Um, other than that, there weren't many names that stood out. I mean, the, the various higher ups at Ubisoft got their producer credits, et cetera. But, um, music by Michael Richard Plowman who is uh, an English um, musician and and does scores for uh, video games and and other uh, mediums as well and the writer was JT Petty who would also write uh, Pandora Tomorrow but other than that the the credits were incredibly long very difficult to work out who was who but there wasn't it it just seemed to be the, the sign that ubisoft were we're making these games now a collaborative effort when it came to making sort of big AAA titles, and that most certainly carried on with Pandora Tomorrow. Um, an odd one. What are your guy When when I say Pandora Tomorrow to to the two of you, what what are your first thoughts on on that game? I'd be interested to know.
1: Uh, we can single player and a better uh, multiplayer functionality. I suppose us Alex was very good. Mm, yeah. Okay, Carl. Obviously it's going to be a better multiplayer game because the first game didn't have multiplayer. <laughs> well
0: yes. It's it's a hundred percent better multiplayer game. Yeah.
1: But what I was trying to say there is that Spies vs. Mercs, very good. Yeah. And I think In it's fact, it was it's... one of the, the main reasons that I ended up getting uh, Xbox Live next to yeah. the um, yeah. Ninja Gaiden Hurricane uh, Park downloads.
0: Yeah. I think it's um it's interesting that often when people think Spies versus Mercs the memories go back to chaos theory, but actually the mode was pretty much in and relatively intact and uh, well thought of in Pandora tomorrow as well yeah um, I mean
1: chaos theory's main addition there was actually the like the cooperative stuff
0: yeah yeah, and the uh, but they also they did tweak Spies versus marks, but we'll come on to that um, yeah. a little bit later, just a little bit, not massively but so Carl, how about you your thoughts when when it comes to Pandora tomorrow? I guess did you play it first of all?
2: I never purchased or played Pandora Tomorrow. Um, 2004 was a strange year for me. I was hmm. very much back into the swing of being a PC gamer. I was heavily playing Battlefield and, and Counter-Strike. And at that period, a lot of games sort of passed me by on multiple formats, sadly. Uh, this was one of them, the people whom I trusted the most uh, within media and, and so forth, all commented that they felt it was quite a weak single player, how the multiplayer was interesting. And I thought, well, I don't, why would I want to play that in multiplayer? That You know, <laughs> I've, I'm playing Counter Strike and Battlefield now. That's just dumb. And the single player, if it's no better than the first one, I'll I hit the old, I'll buy it when it's cheaper. So it came out, and sadly, I never got round to it until yeah. the HD trilogy pack. Um, and yeah. I've still not played it.
0: Right. <laughs> um, I had pretty fond memories of Pandora tomorrow. I again was on the, the, um, the PC version, uh, which actually came out sort of on a par with the Xbox version. Uh, the GameCube and PS2 were later, but it was, so it was a console exclusive console, timed exclusive for Microsoft, but it was also on PC. Um, so uh, I I had pretty fond memories of it. It adds a, a few bits to the, um, to the, the series. Um, Notably, SWAT turns and a little bit more flexibility in terms of when you're carrying a body, you have the ability to open doors and you can also shoot whilst hanging off a pipe. Um, and the split jump became a half split jump that you could use to climb to higher levels, so just slight differences. Um, but refinements actually. And when I think back to it, it's the refinements that stand out, but I know, I know. From what I've read and, and people have spoken to that Pandora Tomorrow isn't as highly rated um, amongst players, not necessarily amongst critics, um, as Splinter Cell was. And I get the feeling that a lot of that comes from what Ubisoft did with development of this game. It was actually at the time pretty well known that Ubisoft Montreal were working on a sequel to um, to the original game but that that wouldn't be the, the second game that Ubisoft Shanghai were filling the gap. So this was this was the Treyarch. Um, and the Treyarch version, if you like, this was the first time, I guess, that had happened, where uh, a secondary studio who had done a port of, the, or one of the ports of the original game, was asked to create a, a game as a stopgap whilst the quote-unquote better team made the proper sequel, if you like. That seems to be the prevailing theory. Um,
1: I think I cert- a big part yeah, of that, in my opinion, is simply that the design of the stages was more coherent than the first game. You know, yeah. it seemed to have like a more uh, focused kind of goal towards uh, how you should approach each situation. The second yeah. one gave you more freedom, but it felt a little loose.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I, I absolutely... Um, i i get what you mean with that and i think the the problem was that instead of being a more focused people saw it as a cut down or more linear version of the game because um it's really obvious from the first few levels actually there's kind of one path through and it's up to you how you tackle the the obstacles on that path but very rarely do you circumvent and find different routes and alternate uh passageways and that kind of thing in pandora tomorrow um As far as the story goes, it was J.T. Petty writing again, and they exchanged information warfare for biological warfare. Um, This game, above all, just absolutely screams 24. Uh, There's a a massive number of biological weapons in the hands of a terrorist organization, um, and then about two-thirds of the way through the game, that threat's neutralized, but one of the canisters has made its way into some other... uh, terrorist hands and is going to be used which is just straight out of 24 you you know in a series of series of 24 season of 24 you get to about episode 16 and actually the major threat for the first two-thirds of the the season's been cleared but there's this lingering lesser it's lesser in terms of the scale the threat but it's a more real present threat um and then it's it's a you know, a more dangerous threat because of the the chance that it's going to succeed. So by the end of Pandora tomorrow, there's one loose canister of this ND one thirty three um, that's going to be released in an airport, uh, which leads to quite a nice cut scene at the end. Where
1: I did like that stage, by the way. I liked uh, jumping on the conveyor belts and hiding behind the yeah. Boxes. So you're in a, you're in the airport oh, trying a to there?
0: to get this canister um, at the end. Yeah, and um, I'm surprised
1: that if not actually mentioned the fact that President David Palmer croons in your ear. <laughs>
0: Absolutely, it's a strange one because uh, he's not credited as Irving Lambert in the first game but it's Don Jordan, he was one of the list of um, several uh, voice actors in, in the credits um, and he is credited in Chaos Theory, so Don Jordan portrays uh, Lambert in the first and third games but in between times, President Palmer Dennis Haysbert is um, Irving Lambert and it's a nice fit, He's he's got Ex- you know, the, the same He's got voice experience that means he can, in, yeah, in means a, can play the president also means he can play the head of this um, sort of shadowy, uh, covert branch of the NSA. Uh, and it works well. It is a little bit distracting and maybe too direct a nod to 24 for my liking. But um, as a, a second sort of... not It's definitely not stunt casting, but a, a headline-grabbing um, casting... Option. I I guess it it definitely, he fits alongside Michael Ironside because he's a known name and a recognisable voice in a way that uh, Don Jordan maybe didn't quite Yeah,
1: and I'll tell you, just thinking about this right now, there is a lot of crossover between 24 and Stealth Games in general by the looks of it, or at least uh, like the kind of current generation things um, and modern time, because in Blacklist, the main bad guy is voiced by... I can't remember the actor's name, but he's the guy that plays Morris O'Brien in 24. And then oh, we got yep. Keith R. Sutherland uh, taking over a snake in the new Metal Gear. Yeah, yeah, so, definitely. You know, definitely. definitely the people that are making these games are uh, fans of the series, you know? Going
0: back and playing them, it struck me how the stories were were always quite similar to how a, a season of, of 24 um, progressed. And, uh, and I think it, it seems obvious that it wasn't necessarily a direct influence in instigating the series, but it seems that it was certainly fortuitous that the Splinter Cell was coming up alongside Twenty Four. It was a yeah, it was I a mean pretty...
2: Twenty Four was on a real crest, wasn't it, in, in terms of yeah, double-swing of popularity? Point, yeah. And I think I think mm-hmm. around two thousand and four, it was actually the most popular show on TV. And mm-hmm. having you know a game that maybe didn't originally intend, because certainly Splinter Cell, the first one, doesn't really smack of 24 the second one it's certainly a way that you could potentially piggyback on something and get some perhaps free sales but you know additional units out there
0: yeah i think i think it'd be harsh to say that uh that splinter cell was ever just a a a 24 clone or anything like that but it certainly it I, in my opinion it certainly helped me get into the splinter cell games more the fact that i was watching 24 around this time as it was coming out you know 2004 would have been um when it came out uh end of this third series probably this season probably around that i think if i'm right if i'm right um and yeah it it definitely it clearly had an effect on it in in my mind um th- there's no doubt about that couple of things to say it's not available on steam pandora tomorrow it's a really odd one because you buy the splinter cell bundle and there's this gaping hole of the second game which some people probably wouldn't be uh, too sad to to miss out on that but the reason is that for whatever for whatever reason I'm, I I don't know the ins and outs but the lighting uh system or engine just doesn't work on modern chipsets i don't know if it's a quirk of the way it's coded but it it doesn't work and it essentially breaks and um, therefore it was just never put out. Ubisoft were not in the position to to patch or fix that and, and rewrite that section of code, so rather than try and sell a broken version of a game, they just didn't at all, which is interesting because obviously the PS3 version actually looks and plays pretty great um, in, in terms of the, the HD updates and, and whatnot. So.
2: I think Splinter Cell is kind of an interesting franchise in that regard anyway with you know the playstation 3 being the only one that got the splinter cell hd trilogy yeah xbox yeah. 360 got splinter cell conviction and here the pc version doesn't have pandora tomorrow
0: <laughs> it's very odd it, when i think of it i think of it as an xbox um title and i think probably most people do which is why conviction made so much sense on on 360 yeah. pc only but yeah the the hd collection it seems odd that it would only go on to ps3 i, I can't really understand that and and uh, ps3 obviously got double agent a bit late but we'll we'll come to that a bit later yeah. on the, in the show um so Darren, yeah tell us all about spies versus mercs
1: well it's pretty much exactly as it sounds you can well you don't actually get to choose you're either a spy or a merc for uh, gameplay Mm -hmm. And the Spies control a lot like they do in the single-player game. They've got to stick to the shadows, uh, stealth as a friend, they've got to use the element of surprise to be victorious, and they've got a number of objectives that they have to complete while playing. And the Mercs are a completely different uh, gameplay system, you know? Mm -hmm. Instead of playing as it does in the single-player, it's a uh, first-person view. You have got lethal force, you don't really have to worry about surprise so much. But whereas the Spies are masters of the dark, the dark is not your friend. You've kind of got to light up and search for where a spy could be and guard mm. certain areas. And it really is brute force against tactical cutting. And it, the reason that it's so beloved is because the two gameplay styles, they mesh really well. Mm. A lot of people prefer the, to be the spies, you know, just because it's the, a splinter hustle game. You want to be the ninja.
0: You yeah, want to be the hunter rather than hunted, yeah.
1: Yeah, but at the same time, it really does lend itself to this gameplay dynamic that is incredibly tense you know because like obviously in a first person uh, perspective you've got no idea who's behind you you can't see in the dark unless you've got your flashlight on and it's just a tense experience and as a spy you've got more peripheral awareness but at the same time you're also keenly aware that you could get killed at any moment if you're spotted so it's a a really interesting dynamic and uh, dynamic and people were sad to see it go and then it came back so
0: (laughs) yeah Yeah, absolutely.
1: You know, at least they've learned the lesson that people enjoy this uh, gameplay mode. And it's one of the very few multiplayer modes that I personally enjoy. You know, like a lot of these things are just kind of thrown in for a bit of variety. They're forgotten about at moments because they're not designed particularly well. But this one obviously had a lot of thought put into it. And uh, you could say that it was a bit of a gamble as in thrown in a multiplayer mode and wasting resources is uh, a certain gamble in any game. Yeah. But it, it paid off in this case.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think Ubisoft have since with Assassin's Creed found an interesting way to put multiplayer into a game that could quite easily have turned out to be a why-is-this-got-multiplayer complaint. You know, that's often the complaint. Bioshock 2 had that. Tomb Raider uh, this year had that. Mass Effect 3 definitely had that as well. Lots of the reaction to just the very notion of there being multiplayer was, this is a single-player game, why do I want multiplayer? Yeah, it's I think this on.
1: was. I think was this was slightly before everyone was sick. Uh, multiplayer getting added and yeah. everything, mm. so it kind of got off slightly there.
2: It's so strange because that was my attitude at the time, um, mm. and very much now. I've I've had many an argument um, over social media regarding multiplayer in games and how you know certain games are written off before, well, long before they're even released for having the multiplayer. Yeah. And mm. and I know it's, it's a conversation I had with with Jay from the this podcast in the past, how, you know, mm. some of my very favourite games this whole generation, so to yeah. speak, to, to narrow it down to a whole generation, would be the likes of Assassin's Creed and Bioshock 2. And and I also really enjoyed the multiplayer from Tomb Raider, for example. Um, and th- these are yeah. all games that many would tell you shouldn't have multiplayer because they're single-player games and, and they should work harder on the single-player. But, I mean, what does it matter if the single-player is good anyway? The, the multiplayer is yeah, a different yeah. component, and and every so often a studio will knock it out of the park. And whilst I never played Pandora Tomorrow, I did experience Mercs vs Spies in Double Agents, uh, yeah. and you know I can thoroughly concur what an excellent mode it is.
0: Yeah, it's it's definitely a strange one. So uh, the reason I likened it to the Assassin's Creed multiplayer is that as you said Darren they avoided that deathmatch mentality of well we've got a mechanics that make it a shooter therefore we're just going to make this kind of straightforward um the expected modes you'd you'd want to see in a, in a game's multiplayer they actually decided no we're going to we're going to make sure that this fits the game and it's really odd to have that first person perspective because when when I was talking about Dishonored, and since then replaying these games, I've come to the conclusion that first-person stealth is a really tough thing to get right for me because the benefit of third-person is exactly as you said, Darren. It just it gives you a feeling of peripheral awareness that you would you would treasure and prize if you were in that situation. You would need to be aware of your surroundings if you were trying to be stealthy. And first-person, it becomes very tough to to give you that peripheral awareness that you would have, you know, the, your ears would be on absolute high alert for any movement around you that it's difficult to portray in a first person perspective, it, but you just get a feel definitely of it. It
2: has to be sold towards the style of the game. The, the way that I always felt was that in games like Hitman and Splinter Cell is that I am an elite agent. Yeah. So I would be, my character would be so much more aware of his surroundings and therefore mm. I see them as the player. Whereas in Dishonored, I am not an elite agent. Therefore, I am restricted to my view in trying to escape. I just have a cool few tricks that I can use. Um, yeah. a, and mm. that helped me get myself around the whole mechanic that, that Dishonored used. Yeah. But it's also why I don't feel it's any better or worse but in mm, something yeah. like Splinter Cell, where you're you're you are essentially not so you, to some degree you're a thief, you're an elite thief because you steal stuff, you steal secrets, uh, and and yeah. you know you're you're an agent. And if you're a merc, you're a soldier for hire. That that's not your that's not your prerogative to be uh, stealthy like like the spies are, and that's yeah. why that mechanic works for me because no matter which faction I'm on, I feel like I'm that character and it sells that experience to me. Yeah.
1: yeah. On yeah, top of that, not... I mean, one of the things about game design is that you're basically designing against a set of restrictions because, like, in Splinter Cell, it's you're you a spy, but, like, especially in the early games, manual aiming is a really slow and quite cumbersome. You'd expect that if he was, su- like, Sam Fisher was surprised, he'd be able to whip out his gun and put a bullet in someone's head pretty quickly. But, yeah. Um, yeah. like... Until I'd say even conviction with the mark and execute mechanic, yeah, that was really hard to do in a pinch. And with the yeah. contextual uh, command information, such as opening a door, peeking under it, or taking cover, um, sometimes it was quite easy to do the wrong thing. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah,
2: yeah, I, I but, think a lot of the time you felt like you were fighting the controls in these early games. Even mm-hmm. even as far as you know, replaying uh, Splinter Cell Chaos Theory for the for this podcast in particular. Um, obviously widely regarded as the high point in the series, that had similar issues where uh, if you accidentally let hold of the the action button on the wrong thing, you would just open a door straight instead of actually peeking under it. Or, or in combat, the, the shooting mechanics in particular have always been weak, but the reason that I found the shoot mechanics weak is because it was a way to try and force you into playing the game stealth. It never wanted you to be action it sort of it was a false sell it's like you've got the gun you can shoot these people but really you shouldn't yeah. so the aiming's going to be terrible and even worse that when you crosshairs on them you know four or five times it's not actually going to hit them
0: it, it, C- certainly in the first game that's true in the second they put a laser sight on didn't they and then in the yeah um,
1: basically and and a where you've got the crosshair um, you're completely inaccurate when you're firing at uh, distance yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, definitely. even
2: in something like Chaos Theory up close, it's very hit and miss. You'll have someone who stood there looking, you're in a shadow, and you <laughs> shoot him in the head, then suddenly you'll dive into the cover even though it was smack between his eyes. It's it's a bit it's a yeah. bit weird.
1: In, in Chaos Theory, I'm usually using a shotgun at close range, you know?
2: That's not very <laughs> stealthy. The
0: notion good, of killing a shotgun in
1: is. this game is just alien to me completely. <laughs>
0: But but no, it if, if yeah, I get what you mean, Darren. If you are going to take an assault route or, you know, try yeah. and take down enemies, yeah, you it's gonna you're not gonna have fun with the pistol doing that yeah. because it's just not designed for that That's, at
2: all. It does sell yeah. good stealth weapons that uh that the the sort of like a shotgun, the 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 sort of riot weapons, you've got the like the airfoil and you've got the 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 sticky shocker and stuff that, that work really, really well. Um, if you wanted to use the gun combat way whilst allowing you to maintain a, a sort of stealthy attitude towards the game. Yeah, for, for and anyone that's who one of the things, noticed. because I
1: mean I think that Kiosiri yeah. really did get that balance of lethal weapons and like uh, spy gadgets, you know like the non-lethal route, I think that's probably the best balance that the series has seen. I mean like in Conviction you have a lot of that stuff but an assault yeah. ta- uh, route is usually encouraged because the um, yeah there's just so many enemies and their patrol routes, and what yeah. Sam can do—it's—it's—it yeah. really is gearing you more to actually try and assault the place like uh, as quickly as you can. It actually goes through, and a lot of people very
2: aggressive, isn't it? Yeah. Conviction is very aggressive compared to say the the chaos theory, which is very passive.
1: Yeah, and I mean, like that's the thing. I mean, chaos theory is like really measured, you know, like the speed of Sam—he is stalking like very slowly, you know. Which yeah, can, yeah, can, definitely, yeah, like and. The thing is, I mean, like the saying, like Conviction is a panther, so he's moving a lot faster and he can take people yeah. out quicker. Yeah. But um, a lot of people that go to the spin Cell wanted the stealth. And as I said, those restrictions helped enforce the fact that it was a stealth game at heart, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. And when they're lifted, it, it muddies the waters, I think, a little bit in yeah. in Conviction. But we'll get on to that. For for those who haven't noticed, we have actually segued <laughs> rather silently into Chaos Theory after talking Pandora tomorrow with uh Spies versus Mercs being a I rather neat way to, to, yeah, absolutely, being a rather neat way to to segue in. So, in terms of the, well, in terms of Chaos Theory, Ubisoft Montreal returned. This time, uh, Clint Hawking is creative director, lead level designer, and writer. He is th- this is his game. There are no two ways about it. Um, Clint Hawking is the man you point to if you like or dislike Chaos Theory. Um, it came out uh, March and April two thousand and five. So. Everything was out within the space of a, a month of the release date, so a much more uh, universal release. Um, aside from Japan, where these games always came out like a year after they came yeah. out in America and Europe. And I'll tell um, you,
1: for being right before the dawn of the new generation consoles, yeah, this game looked pretty fucking fantastic. Still does. yeah. yeah. The
0: PC version still looks great. Absolutely. Yeah. I haven't seen the HD um, version on PS3, but Carl, I guess you'll be able to speak to how that uh, looks.
2: Yeah, the the PS3 version is um, it. It feels very much old generation, and it mixes some mm. areas where it looks nice to some areas where it has some very strange shader problems. Um, yeah, like anybody yeah. who played uh, Deus Ex, for example, and walked on a shiny floor would realize that it's ridiculously shiny. Um, <laughs> Chaos Three has a few moments like that where yeah. it sort of, and it's a really strange aspect because you'd be walking and it almost looks like the floor's missing, like it's a glitch in the graphics engine. So stuff like that it, it can throw you a bit with the, with the HD version and it's a shame because other elements of it, such as the, the shadows are quite nice and soft at times and, and very smooth and, and that whole side of it by far looks better than the textures and, and stuff that you'll see in that, that are much more improved in the PC version.
1: Mm. Uh, Carl, can I ask a quick question though? Um, did you play both versions, like the HD remix and the original?
2: I played the original on the PC and I played the HD version
1: on PlayStation oh, right. 3. I'm not sure how they would uh, kind of compare, but like a lot of HD um, collections tend to kind of kinda clean things up, but the problem is that they were never meant to be cleaned up, you know, like yeah. the fog or the particle effects and the dust was yeah, there yeah. to give it a kind of, I suppose, gritty, you know, like a realism to it
2: certain things get lost in in the HD yeah. version of it and that, yeah
1: like like Silent Hill 2 which I haven't played is meant to be disgusting because of what they've cleaned up
2: yeah it's it, that is quite a good example that that yeah it, it the areas that are sharp shouldn't be sharp and and in the case of chaos theory it's very hit and miss. The first level, the lighthouse, looks great. The you know the mm. second level on the boat looks great. But then there are a couple of levels after it which sort of stand out. Like if you go into the uh, Hokkaido, for example, stands out that that very much looks last gen. And and I think mm. the PC version looks so good. It was the first major shader model three game. Um, it was Nvidia's very pretty baby that they were pushing. AMD sixty four mm. were coming to the fore and had a sponsorship deal with the game and. In that regard, it was always the spectacular look at what PC gaming can do, and and it was very apt at that time because, as you mentioned, it was coming to the end of the console generation for the PlayStation Mm. 2 and Xbox and GameCube, and we were heading towards the the future generation of Xbox 360 and then a little bit later the PlayStation 3. And for that sort of a a 12-month period, but particularly the sixth from Chaos Theory's release, the PC gaming absolutely ran away with it in terms of graphics and I remember I went out and I got a graphics card I had a student loan had just been paid in and it was a case of too much money and not enough sense and I went and bought a stupidly expensive graphics card which let's just say it cost the same amount as an Xbox 1 and <laughs> only for my motherboard to go and mess up about 3 oh, weeks man. later and I never got to play any games ever because they just artifacted but it for that few weeks that I could play it, that was a fairly stunning game.
0: Yeah, it, it, it still is, as you say it's got the telltale signs of something that is from that last generation the, the, the sort of PS2 telltale signs I guess, I, I always think of it as um, a certain amount of uh, kind of blockiness and yeah. as you say, it's it's really good in some spots and not quite good in others and it's kind of just dependent on where they put the extra effort in or, or the, the little it, tricks and it tweaks. It wasn't they... as
2: polished as something like the Metal Gear Solid one where all the textures were sort of redrawn by hand, by Bluepoint, and a similar thing that was done with the Zone of the Enders. one where it was a constant redrawing. This doesn't have this. It it sort of repolishes it up in a new sort of system, and I I guess that's Mm. where some of the the odd intricacies of the lighting that that play up every now and again... Um, such as some areas where you blatantly stood in bright light and it's registering as pitch black on the light meter, or yeah. or areas where, as I said, the, the floor looks like it's missing, but it's actually just ridiculously shiny, and and that that kind of thing is a bit frustrating when you see it. But in the in the whole, it's given the price that that this game is, I think I picked up the whole trilogy for about six pound fifty in a in a sale a, a few months ago. That you can sort of forgive it because they are the very minority of the game
0: yeah so uh plenty of ways in which to to play this today and um when you get into the game i think what i started to notice was the it definitely feels like a refinement with the mechanics the swat turn um from the ubisoft shanghai included added to the the original set of sort of uh, movement sets for for sam uh, is pulled out again i i don't know why that is. It may just be that they didn't particularly like that mechanic. It's a fairly um, staple mechanic of uh, of stealth games now where you can just sort of roll or, or quick turn past a, a gap. I think they maybe just
1: didn't have time to brush up the animation so it didn't look weird.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it is a weird thing. You know, if there's light pouring out from the room turning quickly past it so you're still turning past it and should mm-hmm. be seen so i i don't know if that was a, a philosophical or a technical limitation as you say down uh who knows but the swat turn goes and it doesn't really make that much difference um when you're um sort of crouched down and moving forward um you've got the ability to sort of forward roll anyway so um you could make your way down the corridor and sort of uh roll past the doorway it just wouldn't be a sort of uh cover on one side of the door and then turn to the other um they introduce vertical takedowns so you always had the ability to do a split jump um uh, and in the first game you could drop onto an enemy you just basically come out of the split jump where you're it's that classic uh narrow corridor foot on either wall you're up in in the air above someone um and the enemies never see you when you're in that uh, situation um assuming you're careful about your lighting obviously um but now you have the ability to do a vertical takedown which is a
1: neck snap um i believe and as you it, say the is... Animations...
2: it can actually
1: just be a neck choke you can actually just choke yeah. them out yeah. passively yeah. Yeah. and just i guess we don't have a chance to kind of discuss this shortly yeah um you've always got the choice to kill them or choke them out like in this particular <laughs> yeah, yeah. example it's a strangle you'll pick him up give him a little cuddle and then he'll fall down unconscious <laughs> it affects your end of uh, mission rating it if does you, if yeah. you kill them um, you get kind of points off for it so there's never actually a point yeah. to kill anyone if you've got the choice to do so
0: yeah no there isn't unless they're a target for the mission and you have to kill yeah.
1: them um, and yeah, even, that, even that if that you only
2: matter. tried not to kill them it automatically kills them anyway so yeah. you're probably yeah. better off just using the, the yeah. Which is because
1: uh, Sam needs them in the back to kill them <laughs> yeah it, uh, I I had this problem, I said to
0: you, Carl, didn't I? Yeah. I started playing Chaos Theory and I'd played it on PC previously and the PC version has all this fantastic menu that tells you exactly what you're doing and all the controls. But it works with a 360 uh, controller plugged into your PC. The problem is you've no way of knowing which controls what. So I started using the R1 or the RB uh, button um, and it looks like he's just sort of knocking them out with a punch or a knee to the back of the neck it was only when i got to the end of the first mission the lighthouse and got 67% and <laughs> was told i'd killed 11 people that, I yeah. that it's a really bloodless stealth kill and when we're used to you know knife into the gullet and all sorts of um you know really pretty um violent or or graphic stuff it it's a really sort of bloodless innocuous kill which if you want to kill someone quietly i suppose makes sense but it's it's not until i then tried the left bumper and realized okay it's, that's a, that's
1: a strangled choke really that makes more sense. But, and as yeah. you say,
2: it doesn't sell it. And I, the first time I did it, I, I sort of struck them in the back and I thought, oh, okay, that, I've knocked him unconscious. And then the second one, I accidentally caught L1 <laughs> and choked him. Yeah. And I was like, well, that's definitely not fatal. Yes, so then yeah, I realized, yeah. and obviously, you can also press R1 before grabbing an opponent and you'll quickly sort of knife slash them to to kill them or even yeah. more entertainingly if they're in a seat you'll swipe over the head and they'll collapse on the floor which is always a laugh but <laughs> my my favorite thing mm. about the the vertical takedowns um yeah. that we were on about is that whilst it's a new feature and it is really cool hanging from a pipe doing it is that game totally doesn't oversell it it's really subtle i think there's there's mm. maybe four or five opportunities in the whole game where you can actually mm. successfully take people down with vertical takedowns and i think that just makes it all the cooler whereas you know it's something like conviction where it gives you new things and then allows you to do it every 30 seconds it sort of loses well, its, its even magic
0: and allows you to do it almost forces yeah. you to do it like saying, promotes earlier. It, it, doesn't it, it, pushes you yeah into situations where you're like it it, it feels to me a bit like you know um what happens in quite a lot of games where you're almost getting a prompt every room you go into make sure you remember to do this you know they make it really obvious whereas yeah i nowadays if i'm playing chaos theory um when you first play through the game you've got either normal or hard and then you unlock expert uh difficulty once you've beaten the game um and i i played it on hard and never used vertical takedowns i can't think of more than one or two spots where i used split jump at all
2: uh, I never used a split jump
1: not um, once did, in the whole game there's a, there's a few decent corridors and uh, uh, well I couldn't actually remember which levels but anytime you're on a corridor there's usually a good chance of it
0: yeah yeah absolutely um, the ship has quite a few corridors and there's one specific part where the game kind of it doesn't actually tell you but the, there's a clear grating that you can go under and I think you can split yeah. jump in there and stay above them uh, above the two, uh, two uh, guards and um, so you hinted at this earlier, Darren, um, when you talked about them starting to give you options in terms of assault. When you start each mission, it gives you the the recommended loadout, which is somewhere between assault and stealth. It gives you an assault option and a stealth option, um, which basically just give you different numbers in your inventory of the various uh, lethal and non-lethal uh, weapons and yeah, ammo some tanks. are
2: in there and some are uh, completely removed even from the recommended ones as well which is Redding's yeah. recommendations which is usually geared slightly more towards stealth but even then sometimes it won't have in uh, a gas grenade or a sticky shocker or an yeah. airfoil so you've yeah. always got to be think, careful.
1: I think those are all contextual to which mission you're about to embark on Oh yeah, yeah, they, they do very yeah. like, um, And I'll tell you something, the sniper rifle that's uh, quite a unique sniper rifle as in the fact that I thought it would be silenced no,
2: you know? <laughs> it's when very much it. not silenced. And when it's you also use it, it the sounds almost steady. like a to
1: crack the planet apart. Yeah,
2: and it's it's the least steady sniper rifle I've ever used in a game. It's <laughs> like, if you don't zoom in, it is absolutely rock-solid, steady as a rifle, and you zoom in, and it is all over the place as a sniper <laughs> rifle. You're like, it's
0: absolutely crazy in that yeah. regard. Uh, speaking of noise, you have uh, a noise meter. So in addition to the light meter, which shows... Uh, I think it's split into four or five segments and generally you want to stay in the far left of the meter Uh, if you get anywhere above that enemies are going to start spotting you and at least spotting there's something there and coming and investigating Um, you have a noise meter Um, And the noise meter doesn't just show how much noise you're making; it shows the background level of noise as well. Which is Um, excellent.
2: That is a really cool feature. It's fantastic. It It really is because
0: there are some areas where it pays to turn a radio on. Or um, I'm thinking specifically of the um, the ship where you've got to make your way through the engine room. Yeah, I think that's
1: that's one that jumps to mind in pretty much everyone's mind, I would think. You know, yeah, it's just the the ambient noise level is so high in there that you can usually just run exactly. (laughs) Yeah, it's
0: it, and it's it's worth paying attention to that because there's times where you're not given a massive amount of time to get you know through the route you want to take past some guards before uh, they either turn around or, or you know another pass is made. Um, and actually, if you're paying attention, there's so much background noise that you don't need to worry about it. You just you know hightail it. Um, and it, oh. it's it's really it's fantastic. It also
2: works in the opposite way, where you may yeah. want to whistle to sort of draw yeah. attention to yourself, but the actual the the environment, ambient the ambient noise high. is too loud that you can't actually <laughs> use your whistle, so you have to sort of approach <laughs> it a little bit
0: differently. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, big change in this game, and they point it out with uh, right at the beginning of that boat level, um, a rather pithy, almost Dante's wig moment from DMC, where... Um, uh, Fisher is, is responding to Lambert who's saying, you know, you're not, you're not supposed to kill anyone in this mission and he says um, let me guess, three alarms and it's mission over and and Lambert just responds of course not Fisher, this isn't a video game which is it's yeah, it's tongue in cheek, it's a little bit silly cheesy. Yeah, it's really cheesy but yeah. it's sort of like, yeah okay yeah. we get there it, are, you've are, changed are the are alarms we moments
2: like that in the
1: yeah. game
0: yeah, definitely I, I, I love those moments, Darren, you were going to say sorry
1: no, I'm just saying it's a wink and a nod, you know? Like, yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. like I love it, it is just kind of getting it out there. And I think there's
2: nothing wrong with it. It adds a little bit of charm. I remember there's, there's one later on where you can actually interrogate a guard um, and you'll ask him, say, oh, is there any ammunitions around anywhere? And he and he responds saying, what, do you think you can just shake me and get me to drop some ammo? <laughs> and then that, that one sort of made me smile a little bit.
1: Yes. How to destroy that, monsieur, in one easy line. <laughs> um... So,
0: yeah, they, they've they've introduced a new tier system. It used to be there were three alarm tiers. Uh, with each alarm tier, the guards would get more aware, more aggressive, um, and would increase the amount of armour they had on. So that was the situation in the first two games. Um, in this game, there is no... And when you got to the third tier, that was it. Mission over. Lambert would pull you because you'd, you'd made too much of yourself and got yourself noticed. Um, this time round... There is no fail state for the alarms, um, but what happens... So the, the guards respond in the same way. They react to the different tiers of alarm and will be more armoured and patrolling and slightly differently, so it makes it more difficult for you. Um, but there there's no failure state, um, which they obviously then draw attention to from the point of view of saying, we know this is a criticism. People don't like fail states when you're not being stealthy. The problem um, is it was
1: also completely unrealistic. You know, like yeah. if someone's on a mission and uh, it's all going south, these aren't the kind of missions that you can really abort.
0: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. De- you you can't just suddenly be be yeah teleported off the ship in the middle <laughs> of, of the uh, mm. the ocean. The whole yeah, no, game definitely.
2: is less restrictive in terms of fail states because at, at some levels, Lambert will tell you, he says, "This is a no kill mission. Absolutely mm. no killing." And then you kill someone. and He goes, "Jesus Christ, Fisher! What was that?" <laughs> he goes, "Sorry, it was an accident." <laughs> <laughs> and, you, and you can yeah. sort of continue your mission. So,
1: and that was the yeah. right I was on about earlier on. Just a uh, quick, yeah. quickly throw it out there. If you shoot yeah. Bruce Morgan Holt's body, like uh, Lambert's, like Fisher, what the fuck are you doing? And he's like, yeah, oh, I mean, I'm just, I'm just making sure he's not suffering, you know. <laughs> Lambert's, so, oh, that's very um, really good, you know. But uh, he's got neat rounds on his body now. You yeah,
2: know? They, 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 I quite like that because there's actually two achievements uh, or two trophies, should I say, hmm. related to Morgan Holt's body. Anyway, one is obviously to leave him hanging. Um, and the other one is that you can actually drop him down and and let him just rest in the bath, which it yeah. for some reason thinks it's a bit more respectful. Uh, so you can go and collect him later on, and little little touches like that sort of start to make their way into Chaos Theory that really didn't yeah. sort of shine as much in the in the previous ones, or if they were even there at all. And it adds to a little bit more charm and a humility to the character and you you know that you, you get a bit more of a bond between lambert and grim's daughter and obviously fisher himself
0: yeah, yeah no I, I you're absolutely right and I, I wanted to make this point very specifically because we talked about the stories in the previous two games not necessarily grabbing us feeling a little bit tom clancy generic i guess possibly mm. um and I think that's absolutely right. And I don't think it's necessarily that much better in Chaos Theory, but what does stand out more so than previous games, for me at least, incidental dialogue, um, the different contextual stuff, like you're saying, there's a whole different um, series of of conversation points. If you um, pull Bruce Morgan all down and put him in the bath and Sam feels like it's just being respectful to him, not leaving him up there like a piece of meat. Um, and some of the incidental guard language as well, just the conversations they're having um yeah okay it's a bit of an ubisoft uh sort of back slapping moment but a couple of guards talking about prince of persia and the new one's going to be the best game ever and game of the year and all sorts and it's just they have little conversations like that that really shows someone paid attention to the dialogue to make it amusing but also just it feels it just feels a bit more real than here in the same line over and over again which I think certainly I felt happened more in I mean, the first there were and second Two game than, bits than of dialogue in
2: particular in Chaos Theory that I absolutely adored and genuinely mm. made me smile. The first ones in the lighthouse when you realise that you're going on the boat, and he mentions the name and he says, "You're not trying to send me on a date, are you?" And she yeah, says, the... "It's a boat." He goes, <laughs> "So was the last, yeah. So was the last <laughs> yeah. date you sent me on." And the other one <laughs> is when you, you grab a guard who's been fixing a lift. And you interrogate him for details, and he says to you, he "Goes, is this a training mission?" And Sam pretends to talk to sort of mission control. And he goes, he, "He knows it's a training mission, guys." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, okay, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I yeah I mm-hmm. understand. Uh, commander, at, command want to know if you're paying attention. How many guards are there? And he goes, two in the offices and two coming in in a helicopter." He goes, <laughs> "Excellent." <laughs> it's just little stuff like that. Yeah. And it then goes you can such a long guy- way. Yeah, and then you can kill him, but yeah. I never... And I actually yeah. genuinely I never had the heart so I always choked
1: him because yeah. he made me laugh. That's the deal. I mean, as you're saying, you know, these are pretty good conversations. The ones that kind of stick out to me is there's the ninja fanboy in uh, Hokkaido. Is Hokkaido, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, there is. Yeah. Just, it's just like, okay, I want information. He's like, whoa, I've been caught by a ninja. <laughs> it's like, look, look, shut up, you know, that's is serious. And he's like, oh my God, a ninja's interrogating me. Well impressed, you know. And <laughs> yeah, then I was it's, like, yeah, uh, just brilliant. like a little back and forth between him and Grim's daughter. It's like yeah, uh, you're it's really talking good. to the a guy that's from the era of hi-fi and she's like what yeah. the hell's that like high in fiber? Yes. Like you just uh, don't get much. it. Oh, yeah,
0: there, there's Liz
2: a lot been more... so 90s, you guys are going to say the 70s.
0: <laughs> there's, uh, there's a lot more uh of the sort of old jokes start creeping in at this stage. Um and I think it's it's pretty telling that by Double Agent they started trying to to lay groundwork for removing Michael Ironside as, as the voice that I think double agent was the first time I can remember them saying, "Mm, maybe he's a bit too old for this now. Maybe we want to make Sam younger. I
1: mean, I can sort of understand it. It's kind of a shame at the same time, because like a geriatric, um, like old man, just kind of embarking on these missions would be fantastic. But, um, yeah, to actually pull off the stuff that he's doing, making him a bit younger was probably the, the intelligent choice, you know? So,
0: um, there's a couple more, uh, Tweaks. There's the, the new stealth and bash door um, opening mechanism, so it's not just I, a I plain old these, open.
1: I love never that much uh, reason to actually use them. You know? No. I, I don't see why you'd be
0: bashing a, a door All unless right. you makes, want to draw attention. It makes attention
1: no to sense. It. It's, yeah. it's just a really cool animation, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, well, and I the, mean, there is
2: a trophy link to the to the door bash, but there is yeah. there's there's the one in the apartments where you have to cross the rooftops and you can actually door bash the first guy to draw attention to the second guy who sat up with a sniper, which is quite a handy way to get his attention. Yeah. But, I mm-hmm. mean, few and far between, it's It's much more Splinter Cell Conviction than it is Splinter Cell Chaos Theory in its style. Yeah. But, you know, it's I, I can't
0: help but think this is a situation where they'd put that mechanic in for the guards to use more than for Sam yes. to use. Because there are situations where you'll hear the guard on the other side of the door say, right, I'm going in, I'm... Going in heavy, back me up, you know, and he'll then kick the door open and come in with a, a flashlight or flashlight. Or of flashlight. course, if you're a slightly torch. behind
2: the door as if you're behind the door as he tries to open, he goes, "It's jammed," and then he quickly kicks the yeah. door
0: in. So the the last areas of uh, not this, not so much new mechanics, but new gadgets. You mentioned Darren the the number of gadgets that are at your disposal, and not just for the loadouts, but the the degree to which you just have all the tools at your disposal for whichever way you want to play this game. Um. We'll start with the OCP. Believe it or not, this stands for optically channelled potentiator, which means well, optically channelled just means it's line of sight, so you have to have line of sight on it. And potentiator is the most vague term I've ever heard. Basically, in, because instead of decided
2: not to use modes, EMP, essentially,
0: yeah.
1: And, and In- how amazing it would it be if it was the optically challenged potentiator that made enemies blind? No, no, the
2: <laughs> optically challenged potentiator is Sam Fisher now that Michael Ansari's old.
1: Uh, now that yeah, now that he's uh, yeah,
0: got past his peak, shall we say? So uh, basically, this so you don't always have to shoot out the lights. Instead, what you can do is uh, fire a, a line of sight EMP that works on most lights, like shooting the lights. You can't shoot all of them. Some of them have reinforced.
1: Um, glass all over them and you can't and, uh, yeah, break like, it yeah there's also the flares and stuff like that and, yeah
2: and you can't actually shoot the cameras you can only ocp the cameras
0: uh yeah are there aren't there some cameras that you can shoot and some you can't or was that just <laughs> not first that time? I, I experienced
1: like that. i thought it was like that but at the same time it's something that's kind of changed between the series so yeah, I could just yeah. first in the game, game that was
0: the case you had essentially armored cameras as well which is um, baffling but fun. um so yeah, this is an extra tool at your disposal. Um, it'll only knock the light out for a second, but actually, it knocks it out for more than long enough in terms of how long you need to get, um, get through an area. And it also, instead of you having to get to a light switch to switch it off, to or or to shoot the light to bring an enemy in, um, you can you can disable the light and then I think there's a trophy for that. Uh, yeah, in in the OCP, game as well. Where...
2: Or CP forty. Uh, yeah, uh, elements.
0: I'm thinking of one where you have to attack a guard just as he turns the lights back on um, and su- surprise him. And is that uh, the PC uh, version? Uh, no, no, that was in I think that. Oh, it might be in Pandora Tomorrow. No, but, um, it was definitely in, in one of the HD versions. Ah, yeah, it's not, um, not chaos theory. And that'd be useful for that. And aside from its its baffling name, actually, I think this is a really cool addition. I, I really liked using it. Um, nice handy way because if you shoot the light out, most of the time enemies will just ask who turned out the lights and not think anything of it. And you'd get a piece of dialogue saying oh lights break all the time. Um but oftentimes they will also work out that it's a a gunshot and come to investigate. Whereas when you OCP it they will go over to the light to investigate rather than coming over to where you might be. Um so it just gives a slightly uh it gives you more more control, which is what this game is all about. Giving the player control over the battlefield, um, and and OCP is is one of the two ways in which you have just absolute control over your surroundings and over the guards that are at your mercy, really, in this game.
1: Yeah, and, and it's, also other a, one... its also a great deal more subtle than the gunshots, you know.
0: Yes, yeah, definitely. It, I think it probably requires a certain amount of disbelief that you could you could target a light that specifically and and knock it out, but. Um, these games, it should be said, are always set kind of s- slightly sort of near future. Uh, so, Pandora Tomorrow was made in two thousand four, released in two thousand four, but set in two thousand six. So that's kind this of always was, the yeah, way. This they was two thousand
1: and
2: seven, released Yeah, it's kind
0: of the way that they they couch the the slightly unbelievable tech that Sam sometimes has.
1: And Sam's um, costs about a million dollars. So yes, yeah,
2: absolutely. Yeah, and they didn't make it bulletproof. How dumb are they?
0: Well. Uh, This is the whole spies versus mercs argument. I guess he needs to be more mobile than that. So the other thing he has at his disposal, I've referred to as the Swiss Army SC20K because it does
1: everything. And I'd just like to say that this is one of my favourite games and uh, favourite guns in any game.
0: Yeah. I mean,
1: it looks badass and it's just got everything you need in it.
0: And it's all ammo types, but... (sighs) Carl's mentioned a few of these. Sticky shockers, sticky cameras, airfoil rounds, and... Each one of them tends to have multiple, uh, multiple uses as well. So sticky shocker does what it says in the tin: sticks to an enemy, will shock them. If you shoot it into water, it'll electrocute the water and therefore any enemies in it. Um, sticky camera is generally used for reconna- reconnaissance, but it also has a clicker on it and then a CS gas. Yeah, a gas grenade. Yeah. yeah, essentially it's a it's a yeah a targeted gas grenade. Um, Airfoil is and
2: essentially the beanbag as well, isn't it? It's, it's Airfoil Air is exactly that. Yeah, yeah
0: it's rubber bullets, beanbag, yeah. It's, it's that and thing.
2: there's also uh, gas grenades on it.
1: Uh, yes, yeah, you get gas as grenades on, well on, as on the As well as the, gun, the yeah.
2: ability to stick a sniper rifle on it, a shotgun on it, or a foregrip on it.
1: <laughs> <Just> <laughs> See, my very initial uh, experience with this game was through a mm-hmm. demo that, I think it was, you got it if you pre-ordered it, or it might have been off a magazine. Right. Okay. But um, it was the very start of the game where the attachments were available. So yeah. you had a shotgun, you had a sniper rifle, and the very first thing I did was sneak up in a guard at point-blank range, and just shoot him in the head with a shotgun. And <laughs> since this isn't a particularly violent game, he got ragdolled clean off the side of a cliff. It was yeah. fantastic. <laughs>
2: Yeah, there are some particularly yeah. brilliant ragdoll physics in this game. Obviously the door yeah. smash is one of them, but every single time you hit them with an airfoil round and they just sort of slump backwards and slide. <laughs> they slightly slide across the ground makes me smile yeah. every time.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So the 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 last of your your gadgets, new gadgets, I guess, um EEV, electronically enhanced vision. This is kind of a primitive version of detective mode where you can see what in the area you are able to OCP in terms of the electronic uh, equipment. Um, So it will highlight that in your vision. I never used it for that because it was always easier just to have the pistol out and try it. And if the OCP went red, I knew I couldn't disable it. If it went green, I knew I could. Um, But what it does allow you to do, which is brilliant, is it allows you to hack systems remotely. Um, Yes. These days sounds like such an obvious thing, but actually, for a Splinter Cell game, it was, and they made a big deal about it in terms of the story as well. It's, you know, it's pointed out that this is actually a really flexible um, system. So you can be in an event above a computer, you can be over the other side of the room in shadow while the computer's in light, and it just gives you that flexibility again to choose how you take the situation on.
1: Yeah, I also think it was introduced quite organically into the into the storyline. as when you needed to use it, because yeah. you've just went there. It's not like it, at the start of the game, you know. It's actually a little bit in, and mm. you're infiltrating a bank. Yes. And then there's there's lasers between you and the PC that you need to hack, mm-hmm. and it's just at that point they say, "Well, you've kind of got to do this." And it's yeah. it's nice when a game gives you these new gadgets and doesn't immediately ram them down your throat. You know, it gives them yeah. a, like a chance to. Come of their own over the course. Mm. The story, while you're getting used to all the other nice new things. Yeah,
2: it's also yeah, a no, directional it, microphone as well.
0: Yes, yeah. There's a couple of missions where you have to to snoop and listen in a conversation, and it's the EEV you pull up because you've got a zoom function on that, and uh, as you say, directional microphone, so you can pick up the conversations, which just adds to the effect of you being a spy. You're not just crouched, you know, a meter away from someone listening in. You're using the technology you have available to. Protect yourself as much as 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 you can as well. What is amusing? He also amusing. got one new gadget. Go on. A knife. Knife? Yeah, he's yep. he's definitely got a a knife. So previously, when you grabbed uh, an enemy, you would put the gun to their head, but this time round, you have a knife, which
1: leads to y- y- some y- really like- good conversations as well. It's like, ah, oh, I've got a nice new sharp knife. Tell me, how sharp was it? Yeah. yeah, it's pretty sure. there's the guy that is like, uh, he's threatening to cut off the guy's heels. and He's like, it's okay, I've got two. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: in terms of practical uses, it allows you to break some locks rather than do the lock pick uh, mechanic, um, having the knife, which again is the equivalent of a door bash, but on a locked door, it's the noisy way, but the quick and dirty way of getting in. And um, satisfying way. And the satisfying way, yeah, definitely. It it and they almost the sound... never
2: hear the door get broke anyway. Uh, you can go through that whole game, break every lock, and they'll never hear. It.
0: P- pretty much not unless they stood right the other side. I think, yeah. but yeah, it's it's definitely satisfying. It the sound design I want to come back to later on because, actually, no, screw it. Let's talk about it now. Um... I've already mentioned incidental guard chat, but one of the most important things when it comes to a stealth game, particularly one where they're putting a noise meter on your screen to let you know that noise is going to be a big issue, is the sound design. You need to be able to pick up what's going on in your surroundings, and it needs to sound like when an airfoil round hits, it should sound different to a sticky shocker or to just a regular bullet, and it does. It Everything you're doing in the game has a unique sound to it, to the point where... I, you can almost close your eyes and listen to what's going on around you and know what's happening and where people are walking, you know, right from the first game, it matters what sort of surface you're walking on. So how much noise you're making and all the sounds. So they they have a real, some, they have a weight to them when they need to. They have, a um, they have a distinctive sound that you can pick it out and know what's going on around you. Know whether there's a guard coming up behind you, even without surround sound on you, you can pick that up. um, yeah, I, I just really love the sound so the design. The sound design in, in the is,
2: is very good in this game, except for the very first sound you hear, and that's the gunshots in the cave of the very first lighthouse level. <laughs> and it doesn't sound <laughs> anything even remotely like a gun. And he mentions it. sounds he, like weak fireworks. And yeah. yeah, and he says, when I think of Gorilla, I think Kalashnikov. You know, that's not a Kalashnikov sort of thing. And it's yeah, it sounds terrible. But then you think about yeah. it, and you think... Where did he hear those gunshots from? No one is firing at anything in those caves. No,
1: I thought, no I thought there's not, there's not even... Yeah. yeah, I thought that there was a part where they were like, testing it out done uh, just cans. No, I think there's... that's
0: supposed to be the idea, because I think if you stand in a particular place in the cave, you can hear conversation and more gunfire from down below you, but in the PC and presumably in the HD version, you start looking down that cave, there is no ground no. to be standing on. So, yeah, it's really bizarre. It's, it's but, a yeah.
2: bizarre sort of introduction to the game. That is the fact that the caves are covered in a green moss, which was clearly put there purely to, for the Shader Model 3. And
1: it was really shiny to moss show on it that.
2: Off. Yeah, it was to show it off, and then you look back at it now and it just looks a bit naff. And that I think it was to try to put a bit of everything into the, the, the first level. And the first level is a brilliant yeah. level. I mean, I absolutely yeah, love yes, the yeah. lighthouse level, but it it starts off a little bit. You know, f- it's maybe the only time in the whole game it shoves down stuff down your throat. It's like you climb the rocks. It's like you can quick save here, and we're not going to let you progress until you quick save. And then you yeah, quick, then you yeah. quick save and you squeeze through. And it goes, and you can quick load. And You're like, <laughs> no, I'm definitely not loading. Yeah. And then, I think
1: you know. I think pretty much every game in the series has had that, had that slight problem. You know, like I was playing Blacklist most recently, mm. and there is a section where you basically have to mark and execute. Unless you can maybe disable it from a menu,
0: that was very much the case in Conviction yeah. as well. Yeah, you walk into a room, and you've got to mark and execute. Yeah, three three guys in the room, and it's yeah, it's unfortunate. I I, it definitely has that because at the beginning of Pandora Tomorrow as well, it, it requires you to hop up on the pipe. It requires you to then shoot when you or uh to to aim at least. And, and then the first the, game, the there's also the night game.
1: vision. Is it night vision for the the mines?
0: Uh, the the thermal vision, yeah, for the miners oh, yeah, you need to put on, yeah, and it tells you. Um, and sometimes it's done, you know. Sometimes you get the prompts, like when you're in the bank, you get the prompt, and it's it's a believable reminder from your tech yeah. in your ear telling you why are you trying to OCP these lasers? Just remote hack the computer. I don't see. Okay, the saving that's you know that's outside of the game, but anything else can be done in the game kind of yeah it, it can um, be
2: very natural that you don't even realize that you've been yeah, tossed yeah definitely
0: but i think that's something that that kind of betrays the the age of of these games um obviously of course i mean
2: this is 2005 with 8 yeah, years further eight years on now. and games are yeah. still not quite getting it right so no some are some are some, some are, are getting a lot better, better. And,
0: and there are things that um that i think would be different about chaos theory if it was done now you know in terms of light meter would that be handled on you know almost dead space style on the character and that kind of thing um but yeah i think the only thing i think the incidental guard chat i mentioned the actual dialogue of it is fantastic but some of the voice acting it sounds very much like someone recording in a studio and it's it i hope you're not referring
1: to paco in this case (laughs) i
0: i think so the main three characters we've mentioned, Grimm, Lambert and then Fisher himself, obviously, they sound like these are these are actors who know the characters. They know what they're doing. They're not always spot on. I think Grimm can be a bit weak in places, um, uh, but they always sound pretty good. Um, Grimm played by Claudia Besso. I think she she's great in parts, but maybe weak in others. Um, Don Jordan and, and Michael Ironside obviously know these characters. They've played them before and they know what they're doing but some of the, the instilled to guard chat does sound a little bit like someone was sat at a desk and just had a microphone shoved in front of them to record, um, which is un, unfortunate, but I don't think it particularly took away from the game because I was enjoying most of the dialogue anyway. So um, how about you guys? Any, anything more on, on sound design that you wanted to, to raise? Because I think it's yeah it's I mean The, the
1: only thing that I would say is that one of the most impressive things about it is the fact that it sells you the environments, you know? As you were saying earlier, uh, James, Mm. basically if if there's a guard behind you and he's on a different type of flooring, you'll hear it and you'll be able to pinpoint where he is in the room. Yeah. It's just little things like that that sound obvious, you know, just like looking at the overview, but so few games get it Mm. right, you know?
0: Yes. Yeah. I think the the attention to detail is what stands out to me. Uh, Yeah. And it's something that I think was lost
1: a little bit like as the series progressed. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, a lot, sometimes in, like, the later games, you don't feel like you've got all the audio-visual information that's there. I mean, like, Mark the Ninja, for example, uh, while I'm not totally keen on the game, it it really does, it gives you everything you need for a stealth environment. It shows you how far footsteps travel, um, what guards can see, and yeah. the thing is, like, Chaos Theory was doing this in 2005 extremely well in a 3D environment. Yeah. And it's yeah. maybe the best, that's- um, maybe just the best example with stealth in that environment, you know this three D, yeah. play space.
0: Yeah, and without vision cones or anything like that, which obviously you know other games have given uh, an equivalent of detective mode or or you know perks and abilities that allow you to you know see through walls and all, so- all sorts. Yeah. and I think Chaos Theory showed that you d- really don't need that stuff as long as and your level design, your sound design, and your attention to detail are, are I think strong.
2: Chaos Theory was a game that knew that it was. Uh, aiming at a very specific niche and never shied away from it. It it looked at what stealth fans want and it you know, unashamedly targeted that. It was... You know, there's no... Obviously, with conviction, you've got the mark and execute, but you can mark them and then walk around a building and you still sort of see the red arrow above the head so you know where they are. There was none of that in Chaos Theory. You had to know where the enemy were, watch where they were walking, and if you Mm. went anywhere else, you had to remember... And yeah. I think yeah. that they probably deserve quite a lot of credit for that. And it's something that so few games are willing to just target that core yeah. audience. Yeah. They they went, you know, whole whole hog into into in, into what people essentially wanted. And I think that is why Chaos Theory is regarded by pretty much real people who love stealth games at least as the high point in the Splinter Cell series. Yeah, Good. I mean,
1: as you're saying, like a lot of the times when they're like developers are making a game that is attracted to an the audience they'll be coerced into trying to make it appeal to everyone and then the mm-hmm. result is that it ends up ensnaring pretty much nobody mm-hmm. because every kind of game is trying to do it and basically some games just have a lot more budget than others you know yeah
2: yeah i mean that that's it look at look at hitman blood money and hitman absolution that yeah c- pulls
0: apart yeah, yeah. We'll get on to a bit more of that in terms of Splinter Cell series when we come to Conviction, which we're going to mention uh, after we've obviously finished the main part of, of this game. So we've mentioned story is not a big factor. I think the story in, in um, Chaos oh. Theory isn't bad. It's The best way I could describe it is a Cuban Missile Crisis redux, essentially. Um,
1: I think the setup is interesting, but I think that, yeah. like, like most uh, Tom Clancy things, it doesn't really follow through and making it... They don't sell the story at La Plure, you know, there's not like...
0: Yeah, no, I think that's fair.
1: Yeah, it's just like an overall view of everything and it just feels dry at the end. Yeah,
0: they, they set up a world and they set up a situation whereby, in this case, you've got a, a sort of tinderbox where you've got um, China and North Korea who are who feel that Japan is breaking international treaties by setting up a, an information defence force. Um, and this is uh, the
1: part, part where they uh, lost me
0: at the start <laughs> so they set up this this really sort of tense political situation where america is backing japan china is backing north korea south korea is just caught in the middle of it all and um, and you've got this standoff literally at sea at cuban missile crisis style where you've got uh chinese and north korean boats essentially uh laying siege to japan um until japan takes down this information defense force that they've set up um and that they they do a good job, I think, of setting up with sort of like media broadcasts and discussions that Sam and Lambert are having of setting that scene. And that but it's all just setting for the twists and turns that happen and you know, Douglas Shetland comes back in from the first game. Uh, the second um, game. Yeah. Second he game, sorry. Yes, you rescue him in the second game, beg your pardon. Um who is an old friend of Sam's. And in the second game, you rescue him. He's being held hostage. Um, and his company displace international is a, is a private, uh, military corporation. Um, and so Sam is predisposed to trust him. It turns out through the story that displace international, along with, uh, a, a rogue Japanese admiral are actually trying to instigate nuclear war, um, for profit and also for ideological reasons.
1: Wait a minute, wait a minute. You're telling me that a PMC in this game is shown to be evil? A PMC is evil. Holy shit. Sam does not believe it, but eventually has to shoot his friend in the head. No, 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 no. no. You can put away your gun and then you'll stab him in the chest. (laughs) Which is way better.
0: Uh, I did not know that. But it actually makes
1: the following cutscene make a lot more sense. Because it's a CG cutscene where he's like, I couldn't shoot an old friend. And if you shoot him, the only kind of thing that you can infer is that he was never a friend, which isn't the case. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that, knife that's
2: him, another one where the trophies in the, at least in the HD collection, actually say that there are alternative methods There's one for doing. Yeah, one for one for doing you, the other. you guys keep yeah. coming
1: up with the trophies, and like it, it's something that I can't relate to because like this was from an era before yeah. trophies for me. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And like, as as a result, um pretty much everyone that I talked to regarding that uh, knife kind of cutscene, everyone shot him because the only thing he can do is. Um, I think it's pressing it and hold an X to put away a gun. Yeah. Yes. And like very few people actually do that. You know, they don't even know it's an option. Yeah,
0: no, it's it's set up as a as a standoff. You're so th- this is all part of the bathhouse level, which we'll come to um settings and levels in a second, because I want to briefly talk about that. But at the end of the bathhouse level, you've chased Douglas Shetland, who has just um been betrayed by the Japanese um and, and is shooting his way out of the place. Um and uh and Sam tracks him down and you end up face-to-face pointing guns at one another. Um, and yeah, I, th- I think it invites the player to think, well, I've got to pull the trigger here because that's what I need to do. But yeah, I think it it speaks to the fact that there is always an option and it's never pushed into your face. So yeah, I agree with you, Darren. I like the fact that although the trophies are there and they make sense, um, that that was that wasn't in the game originally and I don't think it needed to be there in order to... To invite the player to experiment and explore with what was possible. And it's nice that that was kind of a hidden touch that you could do um, originally.
1: And I'd also like to mention that during that level, and in fact, any kind of game you where know, like you're stealthy, and they're meant to be this uh, super agent, the minute they start sending in like uh, rival, like elite agents that look just badass, it's always a high point of the game. That That's a per- well done. Good segue.
0: I wanted to talk about the levels because I feel that the levels in, in this game in particular, each one is actually trying to teach you something about the mechanics. So you mentioned the bank level. It teaches you that you can remote hack. That's important. Um, the Hokkaido level teaches you that thir- when you've got thin walls, um, thermal goggles actually allow you to see through the walls. Um, and it teaches you the flexibility that you've got there with thermal goggles. And also um, that
1: if you've got a sniper rifle, you can shoot a clean through the head and <laughs> you'll never know you coming.
2: <laughs> I also so, love, you know, in the, uh, I can't remember which level it is. I think it's, is it Hokkaido? You can actually sneak up on the enemies and grab through the paper walls and actually pull right, them yes, back
0: yeah.
1: through it. Absolutely superb.
0: Yeah. yeah, And that's another area where the knife comes in handy, because if you go up to, there's a couple of places where you've got sort of thin curtains and that kind of thing, and you can cut through a, a tent at one point as well. Yeah, you, you actually feel like you can be knife.
2: properly stealthy in this game. All that kind yeah. of stuff's completely lost by the time we get down to, to conviction.
1: Mm-hmm. At least a lot the of last this comes back for blacklist, by the way.
2: That is very good because the good amount enough. of things I'd heard is that Blacklist was the strongest in terms of stealth since this one, and that that's a good thing because stuff like sneaking up and cutting materials to create your own way that that's really cool. Yeah. And that was always something that I always felt that that Splinter Cell had the other games that were or at least had stealth elements didn't. So
0: yeah, there's always well there's often multiple paths to choose, but it does feel like it's just a choice of going the stealthy route or going the not so stealthy route, whereas yeah you do feel with the various gadgets and the knife you do feel like you can carve your own route through these levels they're never particularly they don't feel particularly big if you're kind of just running through them um but it always feels like there's a lot m- more um detail in them than i I expected going back yeah. then. I was surprised I
1: think there's are really dense with things to do, and there's usually yeah, multiple routes through any given encounter so favorite levels. Lighthouse. Oh, Oh, go on. Yeah, no, Darren. Lighthouse. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just going to say Lighthouse just off the bat. I mean, like, the thing is, I love weather effects in games. I think they're overlooked far too often Mm. or uh, poorly implemented. And for an Xbox game, this still looks goddamn beautiful, you know? Just the lightning and the storm and then just the the environment itself, you know? It really feels like a a makeshift enemy camp. You've got all this canvas lying about and you've got the rough stone of the, the abandoned fortress kind of thing. And it's it's a beautiful introduction to the game. And it's got just so much things that you can do in it, you know? Yeah. And there's a surprising
0: variety to it as well. I think it's telling, and when we come to comments later on, it's telling that when people think of this game, they tend to think of that lighthouse level. I'm not sure exactly why it is, but because um, it,
1: it's not... It is a striking introduction to the game, and also a so lot of promotional materials. Yeah. Yeah, like also a lot of the promotional materials. Like even the, I think the box cover is Sam Upside Down. Get ready to knife the guy on Lighthouse. Or at least it yeah. looks very much yeah. like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's definitely got a lot of atmosphere to it at that opening level. And it's not striking in a way that there's anything massively notable happening. It's not like a big set piece opening to the game. It's just, no. I it's love just, the variety the thing of, yeah, of the, the environment. Thing
1: is, it's just pure atmosphere. It yeah, really is. It, and it's that's, atmosphere and variety it's of environment. a perfect
2: example yeah. of how to take an environment in a game that is actually hmm. quite linear yeah. And make it so that it feels believable and like you always have an option. And yeah, it never yeah, goes certainly. either too far one way or the other. And it's a near perfect level in that regard. Um, mm. And it's, I would say that is probably my favorite, although I do have a soft spot for the bank because that is just a superbly cool level with a brilliant finale of opening yeah. the bank vault.
0: Yeah. And yeah. and that also introduces the um, oh I forget the name for it but you you've got uh, two keys opposite sides of the room yeah that, that's an interesting um, moment the
2: telemetric pick key to, and open it, yeah. you, you speak to the sort of the Mockney, uh speaking who's speaking to you and he always and he says you guys use the coolest tools to to the Mockney yeah. guy and you're like. Have a look at yourself. Have a look how cool your tools <laughs> yeah. are in this game.
0: Yeah, you're getting but, to use some pretty nifty but, uh, ones. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. The, I love the bank and I love the lighthouse. Messy. They're probably the standout too for me. But yeah. although there are yeah. there are at least there's at least a moment in each level I absolutely love. I love like yeah. I don't like the bathhouse level that much, but I love sneaking through it when it's all steamed up, and uh, I love sneaking through uh, Hokkaido also, when uh, good because that's a very good level for sneaking through the light and dark areas, for example.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, like, I mean, I didn't like the bathhouse level that much myself, but there's always something nota- notable about them, you know? Like yeah. the bathhouse, yeah. like the initial infiltration into the bathhouse, you know? It's I don't know what it is about it, it just it sells it, you know? It just sells that environment and uh, all these little guards walking about that have been drafted in just to go to Japan and uh, look out for you. Yeah. And then you've got Seoul, which I, I'm not too keen on Seoul either, but just the fact that you're in the middle of this war, and like, yeah. there's uh, all these shells going off around you, And it feels like a battle zone, you know? It doesn't feel like you've been stuck into the middle of some abandoned factory or anything like that, you know? Like there's, There's people getting killed around you. There's people getting killed in the streets. And for a stealth game, I think that felt really unique for the time, you know? Just like all yeah, the, I mean, before the, the Metal Solid on. Four opening,
2: they tried it again it. in Conviction, where you're sneaking and through the streets, um, where you sneaking through the streets in particular, and it has absolutely yes. nowhere near the atmosphere of Chaos Theory, and it falls no, flat. Really yeah. well but it's done. quite interesting yeah. that you highlighted those two levels because those are my least favorite levels, Soul and uh, the Bathhouse, by, yeah, But just the thing is, I,
1: mean, I think those those uh, definitely have their moments, but the, the whole design just isn't quite as strong as the rest of it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's
0: fair. The one thing I will say, my the the level I remember the most, I I appreciate pretty much every level in this game for some reason, but the bathhouse actually is probably the one that I would pick out as not I don't know if I call it my favorite, but it's the one that I think of when I think of this game and it's because that's the second to last level and it kind of requires you to do to use all yeah. of the skills you've used so far. You know, you've got the thermal cover of the of the um the steam coming off the baths. You're crawling through vents and you're uh, eavesdropping on conversations. Um, on the way, uh, you've got a lot of corridors to to go through on the way in, um, and a lot of use of the light and dark mechanics to get round. And then on the way back out, you're that whole area is being assaulted by two fighting you know forces. You've got the displaced uh, forces versus the the Japanese, um, ISDF agents. Um, and it it feels a little bit like that soul level does where. They're there fighting, no matter whether or not they see you. Um, and obviously, if you're doing that properly, you sneak out of there and they never know you were there. But it, it ramps the tension up quite nicely. Um, and then you get to the um, is it the the like steam generator room where the bombs are placed uh, by oh, Douglas Shetland? And, yeah. and you've you've then got to use your sticky cameras. Um, you've got to move around and uh, defuse all the bombs. And it doesn't necessarily. It's certainly not as coherent a level as Lighthouse, for instance, which is just yeah. this just complete judge That was yeah.
1: the bit earlier on I was talking about the enemy forces coming in.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I, uh, I got that. I, I just really like that because it feels like it's an extra. It, it feels like a dynamic environment suddenly, it's where it's been
2: really quite static cool on the way in. In that level, when you're sneaking yeah. up and you're blowing out the candles. You feel yeah. like you are being absolutely a, a pure ninja. I'd almost
1: forgotten about that. It, it, it really is just all the small details in this game that make it. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And the, the who so, blew so that that's like, why uh,
2: I, Who blew this out? It was definitely on yeah, last time I yeah, watched
1: last. Yeah, so that's why I'd
0: pick out the bathhouse because it, and it, it also has the strongest story beats. I think in terms of it, it shows you uh, Douglas Shetland being the bad guy, if you like, it shows you him in a difficult situation and then turning the gun on um, on the people around Ultimately,
2: him. the game could have ended at Bathhouse. It feels it, like its yeah. own finale, the, the, the like running with yeah, It, it, should, it, it yeah. feels like a stronger finale than the actual ending to the final level. Which
1: Yeah, was yeah, a, was yeah you could have easily possible. just kind of explained the last mission in a cutscene, just throwing the army in. Yes,
0: that. exactly.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But
0: yeah, that's why I
1: think of uh,
0: Bathhouse, because it kind of brings everything together. I feel like every level up to this point and every setting has kind of been teaching a different thing and showing off something different about the game. And in Bathhouse, it's just right. And that is a hard level. That is a very yeah, hard level.
2: Yeah. I played that on hard difficulty, trying to get the highest percentage mm-hmm. I could with no fatal kills. And the bit where you've yeah. got to sneak through a room with three soldiers who are immune to gas grenades and can see you in the dark... <laughs> was absolute pure rage, especially considering if you ran straight past them all and managed it, there's a mine on the wall, which sort of counters that as well. <laughs> so it was a case of throw smoke grenades and hopefully get the pacing right. So that that was yeah, yeah. infuriating. Yeah. But going back to it, Definitely. and particularly because I've, I've gone back through the game, I went through it on hard and I went through it on normal afterwards, trying to choose different routes and I much preferred Bathhouse the second time. And Soul, once you know a quick way through it, is actually quite a cool level if you want yeah. to avoid doing the secondary and optional, which we've not actually mentioned at all in this game. We've not, yeah. But, the, um, the Soul the, one
0: is the one level that stood out as that secondary op- mission being pretty badly judged, I think.
2: Propaganda so, speakers. And, and
0: Yeah, so every level up to this point, there's, there's crates of... Of weapons or you know uh, crates of some kind of material that you're interested in, um or various other things. It, essentially collectibles, but the idea is to explore the environment. And obviously, there's a risk factor there, where you're having to go to into rooms and into areas to look for these crates um in order to 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 tick them all off the list. And you're not going to get hundred percent on the mission unless you find all of the crates or whatever. And some it of those be.
1: shipping labels were bastards to find. Yeah,
0: they were. Yeah, absolutely um so in in the end it kind of becomes this balance of do you want to go through the level and take out every single guard in order to give yourself the freedom to move around um yes yeah basically (laughs) or or do you want to try and play it kind of a bit more realistically is a tough word to throw around but um and and try and sneak past the guards to get to them but it's difficult (laughs) and the soul level I understand, but Lambert's response to you turning off the first propaganda broadcast is, oh, that's good, that'll boost the morale of our troops. Yeah. That is the worst
1: excuse for having to turn these off I have ever Team heard. America, Why fuck, does... yeah, sort of. And Why does... does he care? Does Sam not have a pretty good re- uh, reply to that? He's just like, yeah, I just turned them off because they're annoying, you know? He yeah. says, yeah,
0: they were annoying me, basically. Which which is, is great, and it shows that they know that that's not an excuse to be turning these off. But it's still pretty...
1: Soul, I'm not sure that Sam being fucking pissed off with the PA system is a good reason either, you <laughs> yeah. know? It's, yeah.
2: Soul's a strange level because playing through that, trying to do all the optionals and secondaries, uh, and not yeah. really knowing the level the first time round, um, or not understanding the flow of it, and obviously you get introduced to the wall mines, um, which, for the record, can go fuck themselves. <laughs> and uh, I think that level took me about two and a half hours to to find yeah. everything out and, yeah. and with loading and being on hard and avoiding people yeah. and going through I mean, it on normal I think it takes about 12 minutes if you're not doing the secondary options
1: I mean I think the the thing that's appropriate about that level but maybe not entirely uh, nice the first time through is it's chaotic you know I mean it's a well yeah. zone situation so it kind of makes sense but yeah. it's the level design is it's just all over the place you know and that you like, and you was
2: awful that just felt like if oh, I'm yeah, being stealthy, yeah. I don't want to feel like I'm being rushed through an area, like I'm being forced yeah. to be quick. And yeah. having a UAV constantly chase you, that you're turning around and OCP in, is really ill judged, in my opinion, in that level.
0: Yeah. Yeah, they're trying to put some extra tension into it, but I think the it's beauty kind of, of every other level is yeah. it doesn't need a timer. It doesn't need that kind of. Um, no, the, the- False. It's tense False enough tension. when
2: you're in the dark and you squeeze yourself up against the wall and a guard is literally centimeters from you and you're worried yeah. that he's yeah. going to touch you and start shooting
1: at you. Yeah. That's <laughs> I'll be tense. Honest. I mean, personally, I feel that uh, just a simple timer is much better at ramping up tension than having this artificial drone running about that you've got to keep uh, OCPing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah,
0: well, at least at least it's not mechanically annoying. It, it may be, you know, it may be that having that extra stress is not the way you want to play the game, but at least you're not having to turn around and OCP it. Yeah. A, a timer, yeah, I, I get what you mean. I'd prefer not to have either. I'd prefer the tension to feel. The thing did like, need it. More I, subtle, yeah, yeah. I mean, mm, the thing is, so.
1: like on certain, when uh, certain events are happening, transparent, you can understand a timer because obviously it'll be against the clock. Obviously, it's not something you'd want all the time, but for uh, certain set pieces, it makes sense, you know. Whereas uh, this drone, just yeah, I think we've spoken about the drone enough, but it wasn't mm-hmm. the best part of the game.
2: In no, fact, it no. was the worst. Yeah, in fact, quite it was, possibly. Yeah, yeah, one of
1: one of the
0: few missteps in the game. And um, the other thing that happens in the soul level is that um, you are asked to help out uh, a junior agent, um, and Sam is surprised to find that Lambert's training other Splinter Cell agents. Um, but Lambert then makes another old comment to Sam, saying he's not going to be around forever, and he's got a, a trainee Splinter Cell agent that that needs Sam's help.
1: Yeah. Just to kind of further that bit, um, yeah. it, it actually happens during a moment of the co-op campaign.
0: That's exactly where I'm going with this, yeah. yeah.
1: So in the co-op campaign, you are Agent
0: 1 and Agent 2, who are trainee Splinter Cell agents. Um, seven missions with a couple of extras that were added as downloadables, I think. I never played it. Darren, you did by the sound of it.
1: I did. I only remember mm. four missions, because it's been a while right. since I co-opted. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, I really enjoyed them. It's... Mm. They're, I don't think they're as well designed as the like the single player missions, You know, obviously they're yeah. kind of like an extra. Mm-hmm. But just the the dynamic of having a second character along with you, like an actual human person, it yes. it sets up for some pretty cool moments. You know, like trying to grab guards at exactly the same time or covering your partner's approach. Yeah, yeah uh, just sure. small things like that. And also, I found it quite amusing that you can use the the the, the headset to basically whisper to enemy spies and they'll kind of react to it as though you were whistling with Sam or whatever, you know? Because yeah. like I remember yeah. I was at, in the library, like a library, and I'm sneaking up on uh, a guard that's kind of... He's looking directly at where my partner wants to go. So I'm like, Oi, bug!" <laughs> and he just turns around and he's like, Oh, hmm, what is that? <laughs> Starts wandering up the darkness, you know? And while well, it's that minor thing, and could easily have been done with just a, a button press, mm. it just it felt cool, you know? It makes you I wonder mean, yeah. why that's a, not
2: been implemented in more games since... And yeah. it's something that's been, you know, mooted as a potential for, for connect with, I think, Dead Rising's yeah. going to use the feature where if you make noise after a certain hour at night, zombies are going to be alerted. But it's such an obvious feature, and we all use headsets, and I, I can, I think, probably count on one hand the amount of games where a headset's actually come into use, and one of them would be Madden, which yeah. is kind of weird, but really cool, and then hmm. this.
1: Yeah, yeah it's, I mean the it's thing a is, though, one as, though, as I said, I'm not sure how how uh, fun it would be, like if a lot of games are using it. But at the time, yeah. it was unique and just kind of a cool little yeah,
0: definitely yeah. extra bit.
1: And as you were saying, um, it's just during that part in Seal um, when the Splinter Cells, like the yeah. training Splinter Cells, are talking to each other, mm. they're like, "Who's this Fisher guy?" And they're like, "I've got no idea." Um, we're the only Splinter Cells uh, out there, you know.
0: <laughs> so they're kept in the dark as much as Sam is. Yeah. yeah.
1: Basically, they've got yeah. no idea who yeah. he is, and Sam's got an idea who they are. But uh, it's all kind of kept really yeah, kept away and, from one another.
0: Yeah, yeah, which makes sense. Yeah, I, I think possibly one of the reasons why using headsets in that way, which I agree, in in a stealth game particularly, it just makes a lot of sense. Um, possibly part of the reason is is that concern that what happens when you sneeze, what happens when someone walks in the room, etc. Microphone mute. So, yeah, I think. I <laughs> well, think yeah, yep. Yeah. But ultimately, I, I it comes down to it might not be so friendly for people who aren't sat in a yeah. room where they control it, it the has environment. It's well designed. To I
1: mean, I'm pretty sure. I mean, the thing is, um, when you're playing co op, you're obviously going to be chatting quite a lot, you know, telling them where guards are and stuff. So yeah. I'm pretty sure that it was just like um, if you push a button, the guards can hear it if you don't push a button, they can't hear it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Or
2: you could use a decibelometer as well, where yeah. you talk at a or reasonable voice and your teammate can hear it, and if you talk slightly a few octaves higher, the guards can hear it, so you always feel like you're being stealthy because you're almost whispering to your It may even mate. have
1: been that. I mean, yeah. as I said, I can't remember the specifics of it, but I do remember that uh, just, I think, naturally, you tend to be a bit more quiet around the guards anyway because you're sneaking up on them. Yeah. And yeah, that's yeah. the subconscious yeah. kind of feeling that you shouldn't be giving away a position, you know? So as uh, as the build, the run
0: up to this uh, this podcast, I wanted to get a game night together and play, uh, be it co op or be it spies versus mercs or the or the versus mode. I wanted to try and do that. Unfortunately, all the console servers have rather unsurprisingly, to be honest, it's an eight year old game being turned off. Um you can do it on PC, but you need to use a third party peer to peer um, solution and. Um, you need to then go in and, and change some of the files for the game, and it it seems like the sort of thing that for anyone who loves the game and wants to continue playing it with friends might be okay, but for setting up a, a sort of game night where, in theory, anyone can come along and join in, it just isn't terribly yeah. practical,
1: which is a real shame. It is because... disappointing, because I wasn't entirely sure if the peer-to-peer aspect of this uh, mood would mm. allow it to work without servers, you know?
0: Yeah, well, I do not know. All I know is it's a program called Tungle that you have to use, and it sets up peer-to-peer networks. Whether you end up setting up multiple peer-to-peers and of having course, one they're, computer as host or something, I completely forgot.
1: The original Xbox Live is now gone as well. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, it's completely gone now. So, yeah, it's unfortunately, a shame it's
2: not in the HD version either for the PlayStation Three because that would have been quite a nice.
0: Yeah, that's, again, that's that just goddamn got criminal. Stripped out, unfortunately. Yeah, just Despite, removed well, yeah, entirely.
2: Yeah. There's, the main menu only allows options for the single player.
0: So, to my shame, uh, because I, nev- I just never do get round to playing multiplayer on games, but I have never played Spies vs. Mercs on this, and it has quite the reputation. Um, Darren, as I understand it, there were some improvements to weapon loadouts and that kind of thing in Spies vs. Mercs,
1: um, but much the same game as Pandora tomorrow? Um, to be honest, I never got into Spies vs. Mercs quite so much in Chaos Theory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um like I'm not much of a multiplayer player. But the novelty of Spice vs. Mercs and Pandora Tomorrow was enough to keep me playing for a while. Um when Chaos Theory came out, um I was playing it with one of my friends and mainly yeah. we went into the cooperative aspect of it. Mm. But uh, yeah, I mean yeah. everything did have tweaks and I mean I was never that serious about Spice vs. Mercs. I no, just enjoyed sure. it for what it was. Yeah. And I did hear some rumblings of dissent about the the balance, you know. Like everybody always yeah. complains when there's some kinda rebalancing and these kind of things yeah so whether it was superior to Pandora Tomorrow's version or not I'm not entirely sure
0: yeah I've I've heard nothing but good things and people tend to point to this game and, and in some cases actually forget that there was Spies vs. Mercs and Pandora Tomorrow but um yeah to my shame never played it it'll be interesting to see if I can uh, get round to playing some of that in, in Blacklist because obviously it has come and gone and then come again in, in this series um so uh, unfortunately i can't speak too much to that but uh i'm sure there were there are people listening who were there at the time playing spies versus mercs and got a lot out of it um it just sounds like a really interesting uh game particularly the fact that it's almost uh, it as- mean- asymmetric in terms of the fact you've got different um different feedback and different perspectives in in the game so Before we move on to uh, feedback from you, the listeners, or you, the readers, in terms of the forum, um, I just wanted to make special mention, the soundtrack in this game, icing on the cake as far as I'm concerned. I uh, bought the soundtrack. It came out about six months before the game, actually. Um, Ubisoft were so pleased with it, and it's listed as uh, Eamon Tobin's fifth album. Um, He does... Sorry? Ninja Tunes. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Uh yeah, I mean it's, it's it's strictly speaking listed as as the Chaos Theory soundtrack. Um, but yeah, it's essentially his fifth album. So, um, it's one track per level, and the that track those tracks are used dynamically. Um, each track tends to have um a repeated theme, which will be a, a specific section of quite fast paced, um, uh, quite heavy percussion. Uh, you know, beat music. Um, that they use as the signal that you are being hunted by a guard or maybe they've seen you or you've been heard in a level. Um, so they have kind of repeated themes throughout all of them. Um, but it just, the level, It's I suppose it's kind of, it's not what you count as drum and bass now, but it probably was then, um, or trip hop or something like that. Um, all instrumental, just fantastic album. I, I really yeah. love it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Basically, basically each track is uh, cut into four distinct parts. Whereas, mm. um, like the first quarter of the tune will be like fairly ambient sound, as so they are just wandering around, nothing much is happening. Yeah. And as the tension mounts up and uh, the mm. guards kind of catch wind of what Sam's up to, um, the the soundtrack progresses in stages for each tune. Yeah. Until it's uh, built and out, and it's a really high high paced, you know.
2: Yeah, it's as a soundtrack, it it works well. It works well in the game, but but playing mm. through it, you realise that quite often the game can miss its own timings and triggers, and sometimes the will yeah. start up and like, nothing's happened, nobody's nothing's been found, happened, yeah. or or obviously the reverse, and sometimes it can be quite jarring. But to actually listen to it as a whole and and ignore for a moment how sometimes the execution works and understand the intention of it. It actually works really well. But my favourite thing about it all is how it actually gives you a full biography of Amon Tobin in the game to let you know yeah. what the purpose of it all was, his background, you know, how he came across from Brazil and and, and so forth, and uh, it's quite rare for that happening in the game. And I thought it was a really nice touch because it—it's obviously it is quite highly regarded in terms of its sound.
0: So there we are. That's our thoughts on Chaos Theory. Time to get to your thoughts, or more specifically, to start off with, um, James Bachelor of Gameburst was due to join us. Unfortunately, he recently moved house and his internet is down. So what he very, very kindly did was sent to us a. Uh, uh, I think about a four-minute, you said, Carl, uh, audio file. So what we are going to do is um, we're going to play that for you now and uh, we'll uh, let you hear what he has to say, his thoughts on the game. Hey, guys.
3: uh, Gutted I couldn't actually join you guys for the recording, but thank you very much for giving me the chance to actually give my thoughts on Splinter Cell Chaos Theory. I think I'm a bit late to the party on this one. This is the first time I've played it this last month. Um, I didn't play it when it first came out. I'd played like the first Splinter Cell and a little bit of Pandora tomorrow, but I seemed to somehow skip Chaos Theory, and I heard everyone going mental about it. I mean, people say it's the the peak of the series, but it's kind of hard to appreciate after playing Conviction. Um, I mean, for one thing, I can't play the Spies vs. Mercs because the Xbox Live servers aren't up anymore, so I still don't get the beauty of that, and I have to wait for Blacklist to uh, actually experience that for myself. Um, for another thing, like I remember reading that the the big addition to Chaos Theory was removing the alarm limit. So it's you know three alarms and you're out. That's not the case anymore. That didn't really matter to me as I was starting to play it because I'm so anal about stealth games. I have to reload the moment I'm spotted. Like the second an alarm goes off or someone fires a shot, I reload and start again. You don't feel as powerful in Chaos Theory as you do in like Double Agent or particularly Conviction. Um, Conviction kind of reminded me of uh, Batman Arkham Asylum, where you've got, you're stalking your prey essentially. Encounters are very much in your command, um, but here, like the you know the guards you're taking on, they're kind of like obstacles in your way that you have to overcome. There's a very kind of different dynamic to it. And if all hell breaks loose, which sometimes it does, and and if I don't if I resist the um, the, the temptation to reload. It's a lot harder to gain the upper edge in combat. Like conviction, at least, was a competent shooter. If all, you know, if all everything went wrong and you ended up having to fight, for you, fight your way out, you could just about do so in conviction. But in this, he's so underpowered; it's it's awful. Particularly, doesn't help that the aiming on the, the SC 100 or whatever that that machine gun with all the launchers are, all the all the gadgets. You can't hold the aim still if you click and zoom in. It's like Sam is drunk. It's swinging around the screen wildly. I had to fight with a pistol most of the time. Also, the way they, you encounter the guards, it's not really helped by how linear the levels feel. Um, again, with Conviction and, similarly, Arkham Asylum, if you come to a room with you know several guards that you need to take out, it's usually a large room with multiple exits, entries, vantage points, air vents, places to hide, and you can use all those to your advantage to... Take out your, you know, take out the enemies. But in Chaos Theory, they're usually like really claustrophobic rooms with one entrance, one exit, and a guard that you have to get past. On the upside, the levels are more seamless than I remember the original being. I remember the original Split the Cell; there were like there was a loading screen every ten, twenty minutes to lead you onto the next part of the level. But this, there's just one big open level, but it's not that open. You still feel like you're being led along a path. The cargo ship, for example, you look through the map and you think, "Oh, I've got all, you know, all these areas to get through." But you can only get through them in a certain order. You have to do the cargo bays, then you do the room, the, the engine room, then up the tower, then the officers' quarters, and you can't do it in different orders. The the best example of this like the the, the the bank level now Thief Two which is my favourite uh, stealth game of all time that had a bank level and the bank you could get into via windows locked doors the basement the roof or pickpocketing the garden using the key to get through the front door this one you only can go in through the roof because that is the set path even though there's a perfectly good door right next to the ladder that leads to the roof it's just frustrating. I couldn't quite engage with the plot. It seems I mean I'm a fan of Tom Clancy's books and so forth, but the games they always tend to be the typical formula of throwing a bunch of Russian, European, or Spanish names that I don't really get to assign to a character. They're just names. I don't really get to know who I'm fighting against or why I'm fighting. And then the short cutscenes that show the overall you know, conflict in the you know, around Korea and China, etc. They're so short and so. Rapid fire dialogue. I don't actually understand what's going on, like you blink and miss them. Looking back on that, it's definitely the kind of the peak of the old Splinter Cells. I can see why people were so pleased with it when it first came out, but it really makes me appreciate the newer titles. I'm very much looking forward to picking up uh, Blacklist um, rather than. I I might finish this at some point, but Blacklist is definitely the, uh, the Splinter Cell for me. Cheers, guys.
1: Right, if you could just basically discount everything that James just said, we'll uh, continue with the podcast. <laughs> we can all
2: just agree that he's wrong. Then no, uh, well, the thing
1: is, I mean, I think that a certain amount of that is shifting thoughts. Like on the way that games have evolved. Yeah. Like, um back then, like nowadays you're expected to be able to go in like any approach that you want to do, even if that approach is going in and blowing the shit out of everyone's face. Yeah. And Splinter Celk theory can't really do that. Some isn't that powerful, you know, like in Conviction he was very much a predator, very much this panther that they're uh, saying that he was, Mm. and while that would appeal to anyone that just wants to brute force their way through uh, situations, or be able to really quickly get out of danger when uh, the need arises, I think there was something very important about the methodical approach that Chaos Theory offered. In fact, it demanded, you know, you couldn't just... Dive in and, and uh, hope for the best. It's a direction um, of the sure. character,
2: really, isn't it? I mean, in Conviction, you say and he's stalking his prey, but yet Sam Fisher would never stalk his prey. He would just get past them the most efficient way possible to get the job done. And yeah. I think yeah. that's what really alienated me to Conviction. And it's, it's interesting because, obviously, I went Conviction to this uh, for the show. Obviously, I played the game before. I just had never finished it. Uh, so I went back to it after all this time, after completing Conviction, which I finished, what, two months ago, and my thought process is probably completely the opposite to to James. Yeah. And It's a bit of a shame. I understand his points, and I, I agree with him about the linearity, and whilst I said I love the bank, I do agree I should have been able to get in there more ways because that's always something that I quite enjoy in games is the option or the feeling that maybe in the, you know the minuscule possibility that i was the only person that did that series of events to led to mm. that you know conclusion in a level um obviously everyone entered in through the roof and i think that was purely just so that they could play the laser system off uh but yeah, yeah. it's
1: it's yeah. the mission impossible descent yeah, from the roof they did it again. Get... Yeah, didn't they i, didn't there? I yeah. mean i can understand having plenty of ways in but i think that if the the security of that place was just leaking like a sieve it would have also kind of <laughs> yeah. destroyed the atmosphere a little bit yeah. you know well, i mean there's so, only
2: 20 enemies in that whole level if you could enter in any way it would become the easiest level possible wouldn't it so
1: yeah so my take on this i i,
0: I agree with some of what james says and i think in I terms think all of all his
1: points uh, are actually quite valid but oh, uh, it's only from his viewpoint you know yeah
0: so my take on it is that a given room in conviction is far more multifaceted generally than a given room in chaos theory because each room is set up as this is a challenge room you need to get past you can either go from cover to cover and kind of dodge your way through you can go assault and take out enemies by actually shooting them or there's probably some kind of uh, verticality or uh, hidden path you can take through to get away from and completely circumvent those enemies but I think the levels in Conviction are set up much more linearly than they are in Chaos Theory, actually. Because in Chaos Theory, the ship, a perfect example, there's loads of different rooms to explore in there. And you can take completely different routes around um, to get to where you need to go. And so each room feels very linear because you're coming to one of two entrances. The enemies that are in there, you're just going to circumvent or take out and get to the, the other door. But actually, I think conviction sets you up to go through... It's got a story and it's character-driven at its heart, whereas chaos theory is all about showing off mechanics, and I think it actually means that the levels, albeit smaller, feel like you're creating a bit more of your path through, even though in the rooms, from room to room, you're not necessarily doing that. I
1: think
2: think just two points to, to sort of counter what James mentioned... One, he references. i we're
1: trying to like uh, convince him that we are right.
2: Well, <laughs> well, yeah, well, we are. But just two <laughs> points: is that first, he describes uh, Conviction as a talented shooter in its own right, or something to that regard. He's actually wrong. Split Cell Conviction is a shooter that has stealth in it. it's the, it's the complete um, mirror to what to what Chaos Theory does which is it's a yeah, stealth th- game that is, allows shooting. And the second... I
1: don't feel it's a particularly good shooter either, you know? Like, no, the thing but is, it is it's...
2: predominantly a shooter. It always pushes you into the action, whether it's shooting or stalking or being quick in clambering or running yeah. across rails and pulling people out of windows. It's very sort of you know, diehard 4.0 sort of onwards kind of ridiculous level of action. And I think the other is that he describes chaos theory as linear. Except for the fact that in Chaos Theory, I always felt that any form of progression throughout a level was always discovered by either you finding and searching records on computers or folders or interrogating people. Now, in ca- mm. in Conviction, all that information is very forwardly given to you by enemies mm. in conversations that you cannot miss or simply plastered in massive text on a building to say, this way, left, right, up here, climb the pole, and it's, it, there was, the fact that there was none of that in Chaos Theory, and you had to discover which way to go for yourself, meant that Chaos Theory was a far less linear feeling game. As I mentioned, the very first level, Lighthouse, is in plan layout, very linear as a level. It just does not feel it.
1: The thing is, I mean, for me, Conviction felt linear. I mean, there's so many paths to go through, but they're all very similar, so they all feel so it's almost yeah. like you're doing the same thing from room to room to room. There's no surprise there's in your breath. It, it's the, yeah, it's, it's like yeah. There's, there's always a choke point at the end of that room that you've yeah. got to funnel yourself through. Yeah. Anyway, time is marching on
0: from us. Um, in my summary, I, I want to address something. James brings up a good point about stealth games, which is that they have changed, and, and I understand the, the instant fail and the, the lack of an ability to actually... Um, Get yourself out of a stealth situation without quitting reloading. I'm just too happy to quit and reload if something goes wrong. Um, I I don't need a stealth game to to offer me another route, to be honest. Anyway, we have other feedback from the forums. Um, Which we don't have
1: time for, so thanks for listening. It was good
0: though, honest. We are we are going to quickly run through uh, the feedback. Not masses of feedback, but I think the feedback we got was was good and brings up um, good. Some some pretty interesting points. Yeah. It is it is always it's good. Got, it's um, getting and...
2: better all the time as well. It's really quite impressive. When you know when we started the show, it was always great having feedback, but it was always maybe a paragraph, and now now we're getting full sort of ex- in depth explanations, and it's absolutely yeah, fantastic to get yeah to get an, in, the, yeah, uh, the, to get an insight into form, sort of the yeah. the, the, the fans of the show into their sort of opinions. they get starting to get across. Obviously, they can't do it throughout the duration that that we do, so they've just got to listen to us for ages. Yeah, but, these, you know, these, they're starting uh, to get across snippets. other people's yeah. uh, approaches in the games, and that it's brilliant.
0: So uh, we're going to go through it. JB the Skater, our first uh, forum correspondent, says, Having been a big fan of the Rainbow Six games at the time, especially Rogue Spear, when Splinter Cell was announced, my interest was piqued. It was a Tom Clancy game, but like nothing that I had come to expect from games bearing his name. Loosely described as a more intense and realistic take on the stealth genre than MGS, I couldn't wait to find out more. I bought the first game on release and have never looked back. By the time Chaos Theory was released, the game had been refined and lots of the frustrating trial and error, over-sensitive AI and other niggles had been ironed out. To me, this third game stood out as the pinnacle in the stealth game genre at the time. Prior to release, I recall there being a slightly negative undertone regarding the fact it was only 2v2 online, a complaint I never understood. The nature of the game itself was lone wolf stealth and sabotage, not run-and-gun tomfoolery. Having such intimate fights was, to my mind anyway, in keeping with the world of Splinter Cell. The co-op game was good, it offered a unique gameplay challenge and a way to take on the AI with a friend in tow. Co-op movesets were enjoyable, although at times when you were forced to use it they felt a tad gimmicky. Spies vs. Mercs was the real meat in the sandwich for me. It was intense, edge of your seat type stuff. The feeling of total vulnerability as a spy when you were hacking a terminal or as a Merc pacing around a darkened part of the map was unmatched in other multiplayer games at the time, on Xbox Live anyway. It was the computer game version of Cat and Mouse and it played brilliantly. It's true that the Mercs were about as nimble as a frigate, but that seemed to balance things out. I may be being too kind with the passing of time, but the way Mercs controlled never felt out of place. You just had the. You just had the right amount of manoeuvrability as a merc so as not to swing the balance of power completely in your favour. This game did a great job of making you feel powerful with a gun without making you feel invincible. On the other side, it made you feel confident with the spies that you could tackle a merc whilst leaving you fearful of firepower which they wielded so as to discourage a head-on battle. The fighting, the sneaking and the winning all played out in the shadows and it was stunningly good fun. Overall, I harbour fond memories of the Sprinter Cell series. Chaos Theory was a real gem. The series had, has continued to evolve, and that is no bad thing per se, but I do long for, and I'm hopeful for the return of, the thinking, slow-paced, and deliberate gameplay which Chaos Theory got so right. Carl, would you be able to take Snakey Dave's comment? Yep,
2: the always consistent Snaky Dave says, Chaos Theory, yeah? That's the one with the lighthouse, the sound meter, and the life-or-knife decisions, right? Ah, memories. I played the trilogy on PS2 back in the day, and then again on Xbox, because the levels were different and it generally looked better. I replayed them again before Conviction as well, so I'm a fan. I'm a fan enough to be disappointed by Conviction, but I'll probably buy Blacklist on launch day. But as much as I like Splinter Cell, and as much of it as I've played, it's not a series that I love, but rather one that I admire. I can't really remember the stories, or the levels. It all sort of fades into a shadowy green tinted mess, so although I remember adoring chaos theory it's hard to separate it from my memories of the others. However it doesn't really matter, the first three Splinter Cells all delivered intense and atmospheric stealth gameplay, and to some extent so did Double Agent. Chaos Theory was the pinnacle of what would be achieved with that format on those consoles. And while I don't remember the plot or the levels, I remember the fear of being sat in the dark inches from being discovered, the thrill of plunging rooms into darkness, and the relief of hitting one of the sparse checkpoints. The aesthetic was brilliantly unique too. Um Humdrum streets and offices come alive with long welcoming shadows and piercing dangerous light. Light was the enemy, the guards were just obstacles. And those goggles. Arkham Asylum's gothic majesty was almost undone with detective vision. In Splinter Cell the levels don't feel complete until they're tinted green. Splinter Cells are games made of beautifully designed engagements, with taut mechanics and a weighty sense of physicality. It may not have the gleeful sandbox or madness of Metal Gear, nor the clockwork toy charm of Hitman, but they deliver some of the most rewarding and tense stealth out there. I just wish I could remember them better.
1: And then we've got Woodfella, who's not one to beat around the bush. This is the best Splinter Cell game, he says. This is the best stealth game. I got this back in the day as a part of a 10 games for £30 deal. And out of those 10, which included Time Sloters 3 and Ninja Gaiden, as an aside, these are two of the best uh, games of their genre, It was Chaos Theory that I played and liked the most. Co-op with my brother was the most fun. We used to try and do levels by killing as many guards as possible with that hilarious move where one man launches a man at another man. And I'd almost forgotten about that, and it was hilarious. (laughs) Basically, for anyone who doesn't know, you would cannonball your partner into the path of uh, someone patrolling. In Conviction, and I assume Blacklist, Sam's movements seem to have no weight. Sam glides along ledges and scampers up pipes like a little monkey. Here, everything feels satisfyingly weighty, deliberate. And Sam's dad getting out of the city noises when, <laughs> uh, when pulling himself up I to the sense of controlling a real man. I find this game much more fun if I still have the same number of bullets, sticky shuggles, etc. by the end of the mission. Using a sticky shuggler feels like a failure and should be reserved for escaping the stickiest of situations. I see what you did there. Baham. I've been playing it again and I don't recall laughing this much the first time. The end mission babble is delightfully cheesy and humorous. Some guy says he's gonna kill himself because his favourite baseball player left. Tuesdays, two guys are discussing the new Prince of Persia and proclaiming it Game of the Year, man. There was one point where Fisher asks, So three alarms, and the mission is over. To which Lambert responds, Hell no, this is no video game, Fisher. Ah, ha, ha, ha. Yes it is Lambert, you dick. <laughs> <laughs> It's such a cool game, a tension-filled, creepy blockbuster with a glorious green neon glow. Everyone played.
2: For what it's worth, Excellent. I've played almost none of Chaos Theory and Night Vision because I just headed towards the light and I knew if I was in the dark, I was alright.
1: I've got to say that yeah. i played most of the game with the green tint on. And I'll say it's something that's yeah. been lost as the series has progressed because there's a lot more light in the later games.
2: Yes, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, funnily enough, I... I, when I did use the night vision, uh, I probably used it a couple of times per level. I never. I used the heat vision a couple of times, mainly to see the mm. the laser tripwire from leaving the bank, uh, uh, the safe in the bank. Never used the other
1: vision. That's probably because you can't see enemies when you've got it on.
2: Well, the other vision was only good for spotting the uh, electrical signal for the tanoys, Be
1: optional. Yeah. yeah. I think it also showed you if, uh, where power circuits went to. What they were I mean, it was yeah, just
2: like, yeah, it was almost... You could sort of figure it out yourself because the panels looked like panels that you could use.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah
0: sure. Yeah, I, I think the other telling thing that, that um, maybe has been lost in the series as as you go through in terms of it trying to bring story more to the fore is in all three of these games, you have Every gadget at your disposal from the first level. I think I'm right in saying. um Certainly, when you get to the loadout, yes, you've got everything at your disposal. You you don't need to get your night vision part way through the game and up to yeah. that point. And I understand <laughs> it's it's quite nice to be able to learn the mechanics and then get something new and learn and the literally mechanics. Literally, the only thing
2: you don't get from the start is the telemetric pick, which is very specific to which one moment. Which is very specific yeah. location. Yeah. yeah, it's quite surprising.
0: So, uh the the plan was to carry on through the series and briefly uh, talk about our our thoughts on them, not go as in depth as we perhaps did on on uh Splinter Cell through to Chaos Theory. Uh but for time, we are we're running longer than I expected. Um I think it's worth us uh, skipping those and possibly if we do a blacklist show maybe uh, including thoughts on Essentials through to Conviction. Um Essentials being the PSP game, and then obviously Double Agent being the the sort of split uh, split gen game that came out uh, across the two. I'm pretty uh, sure that uh, giving you my opinion on
1: essentials wouldn't take
0: very long. No, it wouldn't take anyone very long. Uh, n- nor probably. Well, maybe Double Agent. There'd be more to talk about, but um, uh, and yeah. So, long story short, we're we're gonna we've talked about our opinions of of those games certainly double agent and conviction a little bit through this show um but we're going to leave any further in-depth discussion for the off chance that we come back to the series in the future so we move on to our three word reviews james bachelor says underwhelming after conviction uh thank you very much to james for his his audio and i think that's a, a nice three word summation of of how he felt uh, I disagree, but uh, it's it's good to know that conviction's ticking boxes for, for some people, at least.
1: Yeah, I mean, you need diversity in what uh, people appreciate in games, otherwise you just have the same games. And
0: I was so sure you were going to say that, otherwise you wouldn't have anyone who had the wrong opinion. Or, uh, and nah, I'm s-
2: And Snakey David, <laughs> who is actually right, said, Pinnacle of series.
1: Not that we're biased here or anything. No. Nope. Tuna Schuder says, Who's Sod Snake? Uh Tatsun says Sam
0: Fisher's best. Zephyrite Cooperative Spy
1: Shenanigans. And JB the Skidder ends this uh short list with Sublime Sneaking Subterfuge. Which is like an SSS that which could easily be a rank in double make right.
0: Absolutely. Very nicely done. Um thank you very much to everyone who gave three-word review and uh went onto the forums and uh, and let us have their thoughts there. Um Some of the best. I think you're right, Carl. Quality's definitely uh, high with this one. So, our summaries. Uh, Darren, would you like to tell us how you feel about Splinter Cell Chaos
1: Theory? No, it's okay. (laughs) All right. No, I mean, the thing is, I mean, I'm not going to kind of go over everything I said, but as far as I'm concerned, this is still the pinnacle of the stealth genre. It just gets nearly everything that you could want in a stealth game Right and it doesn't compromise its original vision in an effort to ensnare people that just want to go around shooting other people, you know, in the face. Um, It plays brilliantly. It's atmospheric as you can get. Um, The story could maybe have been a little bit better, but as I said, for a stealth game, this just hits all the right notes. Um, I've been playing Blacklist, and that's another uh, return to the form for the series after the fairly disappointing, in my opinion... Uh, Double Agent and Conviction Mm. it's not quite as good as Chaos Theory but since it's coming out the same day as this podcast has been recorded if you like Chaos Theory and you've maybe went off the series a little bit since then um, Blacklist is a very good hybrid it does kind of lean towards the action side of uh, things on occasion but it gets the balance a lot more right than it's been ever since Chaos Theory and as far as Chaos Theory goes if you haven't played this I think it probably still holds up quite well today and I really recommend that you check it out
2: and to just clarify that, you say that having completed Blacklist.
1: Yeah, um, I finished it earlier today.
0: Well, aside from the fact that I'm incredibly jealous, um, I, it's music to my ears because for me, Chaos Theory was and is not just the best Splinter Cell game, um, but it is, it is as you said, Darren, it's the pinnacle of the stealth genre um, for me. And as uh, as our correspondents, a couple of them have pointed out as well. And the reason for that, I'm tr- i keep trying to come up with an analogy of why I absolutely understand games like Hitman: Absolution and Splinter Cell: Conviction have to be more inviting to players who who are frustrated by the failure states and the inability to do anything but reload when something goes wrong, and and I understand that that's where that's what stealth games' weaknesses are were for them, but for me. Stealth games are puzzle games. All the veneer, the 3D environment, the 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 fact that Chaos Theory actually still today looks great, sounds great, kind of falls away. When I'm playing the game and playing it, not well, but when I'm doing what I want to do, when I'm I'm executing on plans I've made, all of that stuff falls away, and it becomes just about the mechanics in front of me. It might as well be wireframe for all I care, because it's about the mechanics, and it's a puzzle game. And I say it over and over again and the best way I can uh, use an analogy to explain what I mean by not wanting to be able to fight my way out of a situation when things go wrong is if I'm doing a jigsaw and I put a piece in the wrong place, I don't start reshaping, cutting, bashing that piece to get it to fit. I take it out and I find the right piece and I put it in. That's what I want from stealth games, and Chaos Theory does it perfectly in so many ways. It's not a perfect game, but as a stealth game goes, it just it gets me, and there's no other way to say it than that. If you've enjoyed Splinter Cell, uh, Conviction, or Double Agent, I don't think this is too far of a step back in terms of any of the mechanics. I think in most cases it's a step forward, uh, even though it came first, which is... Just absorbed back. Never mind. Mm-hmm. Um okay. Carl, would you like to bring us home?
2: Chaos Theory is a game that's very quickly approaching its ninth year. And for a game that tries as many mechanics as it does from a generation that it did, it holds up so incredibly well compared to a vast majority of Less complex games. And that is full credit to the design team for their vision in creating a classic stealth game. I don't think it is the greatest stealth game ever made. Uh, I've said before that I personally think, in spite of its horrific controls, that Hitman Blood Money is the finest stealth game made. Mm. But Chaos Theory is and I think I can say this having not played Pandora tomorrow, the best Splinter Cell game. And it's just so, it feels so wonderfully simple when you're playing it, in spite of how complex it actually is, in spite of how many routes there are, whether you want to go stealth or assault, it's all very clear that you are very vulnerable in these scenes, and you're mission as the player is to keep him safe no matter what it doesn't have to be fast it doesn't have to be measured just keep him safe and i think that is so missed in so many
1: games oh i I love (laughs) sam fisher
2: and it's it just feels so iconic to play and it 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 does have its flaws There are moments where you can play it and you don't... You you always feel in control of your character, but you feel like maybe the the moments of precision are gone when you walk in, for Mm. example, and the the difference between sort of crawling and crawling with a little bit more speed uh, is very minor on the controller. However, it is quite major when it comes to making sound. Uh, This can be an issue some of the times when, when you're trying to grab an opponent and they'll quickly turn around because you made a footfall because that, that that level of dead zone on controllers, particularly on the DualShock 3, can be quite troublesome. I actually counted it by buying some uh, thumbsticks for a for PlayStation 3, which made a massive difference. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, th- these are all quirks. Like I said, this game is, you know, eight years old now. For it for yeah. it to hold up to the degree it does, and for the price that you can get it at, polished up in HD and playing on a current generation console or PC, man, you're absolutely mad if you don't play this game.
0: Alright, well, our podcast perhaps not as balanced as Chaos Theory itself, but you know what? I'm kind of okay with that, and I expect a far tougher fight on my hand if we ever do a Far Cry 2 podcast, so it's nice to be able to do this one, and... And say, Clint Hawking, I I love you a little bit. Um,
1: Thanks. (laughs) uh,
0: So that's the end of uh, our Splint Cell Chaos Theory show. Coming up in Volume 2, we are getting near the end of Volume 2 now, closing in on Episode 100. Next week, we have David Digertola I continue to call him that because that's what he's called. Um, he made a game called Fahrenheit in this country. It was called Indigo Prophecy in America. We are covering it next week. Um, after that, Super Meat Boy, um, followed by La Noire, also known as L.A. Noire. Um, then Majesco, who oddly do the Zumba fitness games now. Um, once upon a time did a game called Psychonauts, which is awesome. That's show 99. Listen to it. Uh, it's going to be great. Um, and issue 100 to round off uh, volume 2 we're going back to David Cage for that is what he likes to be called Uh, we're going to look at Quantic Dream's heavy Rain. You can support us, Rince, by subscribing, reviewing and rating us on iTunes all it takes is just go into the store click on 5 stars fewer if you do so wish but we do appreciate any and every review and rating. We appreciate Um, honesty
1: as long as it's 5 we appreciate honesty as
0: long as we agree with it. Um Rinse merchandise can be found at Um I will be attending Eurogamer. I'm going to make sure I have a fresh shirt with Kanan Rins Rinse on it for every single day I'm there. You can join this, the Cane Rins community and have your say. You can get your uh, forum posts read out on the show if you go to caneandrinse.com forward slash forum. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube if you search Cane and Rinse in any one of those fine social networking and media sites. And all of that, links to all of said above uh, opportunities, I think I'm going to call them, um, can be found at com. For Cane and Rinse, I have been James Carter. Thank you very, very much to all of our correspondents and most of all to Carl Thank you. And